Hey, it's Chris Edgerly, a.k.a. The Edge Voice, and you're about to listen to an audio version of an interview I've done on my streamcast on Twitch. Now, if you'd like to see the video along with it, you can find it in the links below, or you can just go to my YouTube channel, Chris Edgerly, a.k.a. The Edge Voice. Hope you enjoy it. And, um, hey, that's Cam Bowen right there. Yeah. Hi, I'm Cam. Check him out. In Check him out. Glory. That's <laughs> Secretariat. Yeah. <laughs> No, Seabiscuit. Seabiscuit. See? Yeah. That one is not behind me. That one was too big to put up. Yeah, and here I, closet. you know, I had all day to get that right. Seabiscuit. <laughs> and it was one of my research. favorite movies of 03. Because I remember the year it came out. I remember seeing it in the 03 theater. 03 was a real big year for me because that came out in 03 as well. And they were both nominated for Best Picture. And also Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King came out. And I was a very big fan at 13 years old or however old I was in 2003. And uh, that's those true. Oscars were like, for me, it was like, oh, I'm in two of the best pictures. And the one that I want to win, I wasn't in, but I really hope it wins. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, it uh, it's funny because in Mystic River, you're you're basically the uh, the um, the kid who gets abducted. Right. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. The young um, the young uh, Tim Tim. Tim uh, Robbins. Robbins. You know, I used to be so good with names. I used to be so good with every single name in acting, with who won what Oscar, all of that. I had all of that down. And then I had kids, and it just left my brain. Priorities changed. It, it just like, left uh, my brain. Yeah. I used to, when I was a kid, I used to go on IMDb, and I would, you know, go movie by movie, actor by actor, director by director. Yeah. And I could spend all like just so much time going through and no one knew more about movies and actors than I did, but priorities change. Yeah. And then if you don't keep up with it, that muscle relaxes. It does. You, I lost so much of it. Yeah. That, that real estate in your brain just gets, you know, devoted to something else. And, uh, you know, girls phone numbers when we sure. called. See, that's, <laughs> I remember a day when you'd get a girl's number oh, and you'd yeah. dial it and you'd call her and you'd There's talk to her. There's nothing worse than, than, than when you get an unwanted Zoom call. Yeah. And it's, and it's a girl that you like and you're like, is my lighting right? Am is, I centered? We didn't do that Netflix and chill and sexting <laughs> and all that craziness. No. You know, oh, it's so yeah. funny because like, I'm 32 Okay. But because of, of the industry that we're in, I've stayed pretty immature. Um, and so I, I feel like I'm, and I've also been in this industry forever. And so like, I, I simultaneously feel like I'm 52 and I'm 12, you know? I, well, but, I'll have you know, I am 51. Hey. Um, and when I wear socks and I walk across a hardwood floor, I still want to run and slide. And I still do sometimes. <laughs> You, there's a certain amount of um, youth that you never want to let go of, no matter what business you're in, no matter what path you walk in life, because it keeps you curious, it keeps yeah. you excited, it keeps you enthusiastic to get out of bed every day yeah. and, and meet whatever the day has in store. Now, if you're in Hollywood, I always used to say this about Hollywood, Hollywood is high school without the teachers. There's no one calling a stop to all this foolishness. There's no one saying, you shouldn't act that way. Why don't you grow up? No. No well, one's raiding the kegger. I'll have to take your word for that. I did not go to high school. Um, yeah, that's and, right. Homeschooled, huh? 
uh, well, homeschool. Yeah, homeschooled uh, for a bit, and then uh, you know, when you're a kid actor and you have money waiting for you, you're like, <laughs> I, you know, I think I'd like to just stop being a kid and uh, go and grab that thing that's over there and yeah. start my life yeah. as an adult. And my parents were like, well, I mean, you're still in high school. You can't, I'm like, oh, that's the thing that's, so okay, cool. I'll just go and get my <laughs> equivalency yeah. uh, test. And uh, and I did, and I, I moved to New York. I got emancipated, I moved to New York and the rest is history. Yeah, well, so <laughs> you started doing that no school that yeah. we've heard so well, much about. The plan, the plan was to like really get into theater and like I, I did for the most part, like I, I went to singing coaches twice a week and I was at Broadway Dance Center constantly. I never got any better as a dancer. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I was I, I took from a bunch of really cool acting um, coaches and acting classes and stuff. And that's sort of how I spent my my college years in New York was or, or my high like late high school early college years right I, I sort of devoted it to that because i kind of felt like i already knew what i wanted to do and i didn't really need to learn algebra two yeah <laughs> you, you don't look we're homeschooling our two kids we're we were sending wow. them to montessori which is a great school but the pandemic hit and <laughs> my wife was sort of in charge of all the zoom calls that they started putting us on in order to handle the, the workload of the remainder of the school year. Cause as you, as we all know, the lockdown happened in March. Yeah. So there's still two, three months left in the school year. So we did it via zoom and I'm busy doing my gigs. And so yeah. I couldn't help that much. And she said, this is so much work. This is, it was so much easier when we just dropped them off. And she said, you know what? I'm spending more time teaching them than the teacher is because she has to keep up with each kid individually. Yeah. And I'm there doing it. And we thought, okay, come September, we're homeschooling and she yeah. set up, she, she basically fill out all the paperwork. We exist as an actual school. We have two students and where do I uh, sign up? <laughs> we could, you know, tuition will be reasonable, but we can take you on. Yeah. And so, yeah, I help out when I can, you know, but luckily for me, work has continued, but, but yeah, we, we, we are taking this attitude towards school. Like I have a college degree and it's mm -hmm. in journalism, you know, radio, TV and film, telecommunication arts, that kind of thing. And it's useful to have it in as far as the experience of college gave me more than the piece of paper that says I yeah. went. Because I've never used that college degree to get a job. The experience sure. of going off to college, discovering acting, discovering stand-up comedy, that was valuable. But I damn sure didn't have to tell anyone about um, Finnegan's Wake or topics in math, which was one of these easy classes that I took that I still managed to get only a C in. So much of it was a complete fucking waste of time. You know, though, I mean, there is something to be said for, I mean, as opposed to someone who goes to school for like engineering and then becomes an actor or becomes a comedian. Yeah. Go to school for journalism. And, you know, radio, but I'm sure that's helped you. I, I'm sure that you've made lots of money based off of what you learned in college. There is an understanding I have of yeah. um, how the industry works from the inside that perhaps many actors would not have. But I don't think it necessarily helped me land a gig, but it does help me understand the business itself. That I yeah. remember talking to you about this at the office. We are, full disclosure, at the same agency. And... 
we would have these chats while we're waiting to go in and read our copy pre-pandemic. And you're an actor who I always admired this, is that you, you'd say, you know what? I'm acting right now. If I'm not acting, I'm working this job because acting jobs yeah. come and go. I've been in the business long enough to know that. There are some actors who are lucky enough to not have to hit that plan B. But Lord knows I had plenty of waiting table jobs before I finally just managed to make it work. And well, so, and your life, your life is different. I mean, you got a family. Yeah. For me, it's, right. it, it, it's a lot to do with schedule. Yeah. I like to have stuff to do. I like to have places where I'm accountable. Um, and uh, look, I could have a really good year and then have a really bad year yeah. in, in the industry. And I just know that that's always down the road. Plus, I am I don't do on camera. And so for a lot, you know, in a lot of ways, I'm not really getting a ton of lottery tickets, you know, right. every so often I'll hit a big voiceover commercial yeah. and that'll be big. But the majority of stuff, you got to put a bunch of stuff together to really, yeah, it's a volume a living. Yeah. Voiceover yeah. is a volume business, but absolutely. What was it that steered you away from on camera? Were you just tired of it? You know, I think a lot of young actors go through this, but yeah. um, I was extremely fortunate as a kid uh, I have five siblings and uh, my parents just, just picked up and, and we went on a vacation to New York um, when I was seven years old or mm -hmm. yeah, seven years old um, for two weeks. And we stayed in the embassy suites. And while we were there, my dad lied and said that we lived there and <laughs> we got a manager uh -huh. for that two weeks. And there's six of us and three of my siblings booked Broadway shows while we were on vacation. <laughs> <laughs> So we stayed in the embassy suites for another two months while my dad went back and sold his business and moved us, moved all the stuff out of his house. Wow. And came, I never went back to Ohio. And, um, and I, man, I did it. I, I did it hard. My days when I was a kid were wake up, walk to school because we lived in this beautiful apartment in Midtown Manhattan and my school mm -hmm. was five blocks away. And I would walk to school and then I would leave at lunch and go record an animated show. And then I wouldn't go back because everything, I went to a performing arts school. And so it was a public school, but it was performing arts. And so everything after lunch, they sort of made as like an elective. All okay. the actual stuff was before lunch. And then I'd have, you know, 10 auditions a day and maybe some bookings. And then at night I would do the show, unless it was a Wednesday. Um, and uh, in which case I would leave at lunch to go do the show and then not come back. And like. Uh -huh. I did that for so long. And then I came out here in 2002 um, and and I worked. I mean, I continued to work, but it was different. The flow was different, uh -huh. you know? And I was going to a regular school. I was going to a regular middle school. Uh, and then, you know, that didn't really work out because every time I wasn't there, I was getting failed. And so then I started doing like the independent study, the, the homeschooling type deal right. with a teacher, um, not my parents. And then... Um, and then when I moved to New York again, when I was 17 or 18, um, I, I tried to refocus and say like, what do I love about this? Why is this not making me happy? And so I got back into theater. I continued to do voiceovers. I still did on camera, but it was more of like my day job, uh -huh. you know? And so when I moved back out here from New York, I was like, look, I'm still gonna do it if they offer it to me, but I'm not going to pursue it hardcore the way that I was because a, I'm not going to work if I'm pursuing it hardcore and I'm not enjoying it. Right. And B, um, you know, I'm not going to put in good work. 
<laughs> if I'm yeah. if I'm not enjoying it. Um, and C, the the nice thing about voiceover is like you can book something that physically you are completely wrong for. And yeah. I realized when I was in my late teens, early twenties, that my energy was just not that of my peers. So mm-hmm. I ended up playing a lot of like young teens and, and a lot of, at least in, in voiceover. But on camera, I was with CED at the time. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, my agent at the time, you know, was still sending me out for like the good looking young guy. And like, um, I just didn't, I didn't enjoy the process. Right. And so I've continued to work a little bit just based off of people I've worked with previously. Um, but I don't really audition. I don't, uh-huh. unless it's like, unless I really get hit up by somebody and they're like, we really need you to audition for this. Like, right. okay. Yeah. Um, but well, I just plus, sort of had to prioritize my happiness at some point where like yeah. the rat race was, was getting to me. Yeah. And uh, my son, I mean, technically both of my kids are sort of in the business. My daughter auditions for voice acting things. She hasn't gotten anything yet, but she's only seven. And it's very sure. rare that she even gets something that she wants to do. Because, mm-hmm. you know, they'll send the auditions, but the kids don't always want to do them. And, sure. you know, and my son is nine. He's been in the union since he was six. Oh, and, he's killing it. Yeah, he's, he's crushing it. He's doing yeah. great. And even then, sometimes he gets a little burned out. And I'll say, okay, we won't do this audition. And I've even yeah. told the agency, I've said, um, I just want you guys to know we're not ignoring you. It's just that some of these the kids don't have time to do. And sometimes they're burned out. And they said, we understand. They get it. Because I don't want, like, I've had him audition for a, at most, four or five on-camera things. And it's because they were really worth having him do it because it would have been something really fun for him. Or he would work with this really big name if he were to book it. But otherwise, I, because my wife would ask me, I don't know, this could be a big thing for him. And I said, at the time, he's eight. It yeah. doesn't matter. You know yeah. what matters is adult him still loving this because yeah. and yeah. that and that does change. I mean, it changed for voiceover too, where yeah. like and I kind of had to take a look at that. Um, when you're a kid, you're doing it because you love it. And yeah. like I said, I had I had such a great support system that that allowed me to do it for no other reason than I loved it. Yeah. And that was a real motivator because they always told me if you want to do it, you gotta you gotta act right. Or else they won't let you do it. Right. And if you don't want to do it, great. That's fine. Yeah. <laughs> That's so great. Yeah. Um, and you know, but then money factors in and yeah. uh you know, getting to do shows that you wanna do and being a real actor and uh getting a social media following and yeah. uh getting, you know, girls or boys or whatever you're into, you know, yeah. and, and getting the acclaim of, of getting the respect of people that you respect and right. Um, I just found that with that voiceover was the purest side of myself as far as I just want to play from yeah. time to time. Yeah. And anytime I get to do it, I'm so happy. Yeah. Whereas with on camera, it was like, sometimes, you know, I would go in for a producer session. I was like, I don't even want to book this. Yeah. This isn't something I want to do. <laughs> yeah. And that usually works one of two ways. I did just enough on camera when I was younger to know that if you go in there, like you don't care either they're going to resent you for not caring enough or they have to have you. Yeah. And um, you, it, it almost doesn't seem to matter which one happens because it's really hard to have a lasting career in anything if your heart's not in it. I mean, mm-hmm. 
it's just going to out eventually. People are going to notice and your work will suffer. And I, I do find that perspective is everything. If you love doing something, your perspective is always going to be one of gratitude. It's like, oh boy, I get to do this again. Isn't this great? And as you said, I've got a wife and kids and I'm the sole breadwinner because my wife made the conscious decision that she wanted to stay home. She wanted to be a full-time mom. She had the option of working. It was totally up to her. And she said, no, I want to stay home and be with the kids. And I said, luckily, I'm on the greatest show of all time. And so we can afford for you to do this. But every time I work, no matter if it's a show that I've been on for a long time or if it's something brand new, even if it's just an anime that barely pays anything, I tell myself, I get to work. Isn't this great? I'm well, proud. and one of the reasons why you get to do the anime is because you're making your money elsewhere. So like, yeah. and, and that's what I love about voiceover is I feel like audiobooks, um, some promos, they're like the heavy lifting. They're like the, they're like the, the grunt work for me of, of yeah. I don't really love them, um, but I do them so yeah. that I don't have to worry about getting my paycheck from animation or video games and the stuff that I really want to do. Um, and you know, same with doing catering or hosting karaoke or something. It's like, yeah, I mean, I don't mind doing that. So it allows me to not right. have to just bemoan, like be so desperate for every audition and have the only reason why I want to book it is because I want to go in there and play and do that role. Yeah. You know? Yeah. This feeds into the, the question I get asked a lot. I mean, somebody asked me this on YouTube and they'll probably ask this again when I post this video. I, I had Bob Bergen on and Bob and I talked at length about the right attitude to have and the right focus and the right process for auditions and for working. And somebody on YouTube said, can't you uh, put up a video about how to start a career in Boise? And I said, I mean, well, it's more, it's more viable now than ever. Yeah. I mean, but the first thing I would say is it doesn't matter if it's Boise or Des Moines or, or Atlanta or whatever. No matter where you are, you've got to have the right attitude for starters. But second of all, um, you know, I, I don't know if you're going to be the only person to watch the How to Start a Career in Boise video or not, but most likely. So why don't we not think about so much where you are as um, where you want to end up? And it may or may not be in L.A. or New York or Chicago or Miami or Atlanta. But as you were saying, you need to be happy with what you're doing. And so what's the it's point? It's hard to get to that place, though, because, I, I mean, I have been working steadily. Uh, what year is this? 2020. So 2020. So for, Almost 2021. Since 1996. And, like, I've been fortunate enough to pretty much work extremely steadily that entire time. There's been highs and lows, but I, I've been very fortunate that I, I, I have kept a career going. Since 96? Yeah, I mean, a lot of that was as a child, so I can't really take much credit for it. But well, sure some of you that, can. It was you. Some of the stuff I know, but some of the stuff that I that I did still pays, and so it's like yeah. that helps too. Um, and and by that I mean like when you don't have that, when you're starting mm -hmm. out at 30 years old um, in Boise, it does feel like it's an impossible dream to yeah. to get going. But nowadays, it there's there's so many ways that you can get into it, and there's oh, yeah. and there's more people willing to discover talent than ever. But I mean, for the past, I don't know how many years, like I have been in and out of that circle, like as far mm -hmm. as 
being like a guy that works multiple times a year in stuff that I'm really excited about and then falling out of it mm-hmm. or like, you know, getting unlucky with, with the, with the, the projects that you do get that it's like, Oh, that one's canceled. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, and like, uh, or, uh, you know, that character didn't make it into the next iteration or, um, you know, I, and so I think that like, there's gotta be that base. And for me, the way that I was able to sort of navigate that was, yeah, take a little bit of pride in having um, physical labor jobs that don't yeah. take any of, don't take any uh, acting skill, that don't have anything to do with the industry, that that do not zap any of my energy from, like my vocation or mm-hmm. my my chosen my passion, you know, um, and I you know I don't I I actually quit catering in uh, in February of my own volition, mm-hmm. um, and then of course we locked down after yeah. that, so it, the choice would have been made for me. You picked a good um, time to walk away. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was great. Yeah. Um, and, uh, but, you know, I do sort of, it, it, it almost, I mean, I've caught myself getting treated, you know, in a, a certain way by somebody who has no idea what I've done or what I've achieved or what cool things I've, that their kid might know who I am, right. you know? And I think like, oh, it's kind of like a, kind of like Batman. <laughs> he doesn't know. He just sees me as Bruce Wayne. He doesn't know I'm Batman. Yeah, exactly. And well, I, and, and, a lot of this is getting a handle on your ego because I, Lord knows I've been a slave to that creature before where I've thought, well, I can't do that. That's not the way I see myself. It's like, okay, well then don't do it, but realize you're giving something up that might work to your advantage. And so I believe me, I swallowed my pride back around, I would say probably 2000, 2001. I was still on the road as a comedian, but I had been living in an LA and I had just signed uh, with Pat Brady in 2000 to do uh, voiceover. And I only booked a handful of things in the first couple of years, but she had faith in me and she stuck it out with me. And I did the road less and less so I could be around for those auditions because nobody was sending in in 2000. Sure. You came into your agency. Yeah. And so I had or, to or make a choice. Or went to a casting director. Yeah, or went to a casting director. So I had to make substantially less money and I was barely making it as it is because LA was expensive. And I started, I, I put in an application at a restaurant around the corner. And I thought, I can't believe I'm going to do this. I thought I was done with this. It was, it had been five years since I had last done a day job. And thank God they didn't hire me because when there's this five year gap on your employment record, you tend to not get hired anyway. And I just yeah. thought I would have been a bad employee. My heart was not in it, in it and I stuck it out. But I remember going to a temp agency and taking a, um, a typing test to see how many words per minute I could hunt and peck just in case I got a job, a day job is like a data processor. And I thought, thank God they're never going to hire me for this because this would have crushed my soul. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's the one thing about for me is like, you know, no matter what I end up doing with my life or in the workforce, um, I've always known that like, it, there's gotta be, there's gotta be like a, 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 two extremes almost where it's like, I get to do exactly what I want to do. And so over here, I don't want any of that involved. And so like, I don't want to be in a cubicle and yeah. customer service, you know, like uh, d- d- doing catering or, or working in a bar. I worked in a bowling alley, you know, like it's still, it's still somewhere I can be myself. You know, well, you need to be with people where you can make a connection. 
Yeah. 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 I mean, because you're yeah. you're going to be good at that. Most actors, not all. There are some real misanthropes out there that are brilliant actors, but as soon as you say cut, they shut down. Yeah. But yeah, most actors they excel when you put them in a social situation. Sure. And even if inside they've got anxiety about it, they have just developed this skill set where they know how to reach out and make a connection with whoever is in front of them. And yeah, those were the, the jobs I did best were, and even then I was always, I was never a good employee anywhere I worked. My head was always in performing, but mm -hmm. wherever I got to be most myself, yes. That's were you a I, good student in school? I was a pretty good student because I took pride in, um, in at least getting a certain grade because I knew that I was smart enough but if it was a subject I didn't like, man, it was a slog yeah. because my attention would drift immediately and yeah. it was a fight. So I, I was mainly a good student because I, came con I became conscientious about just doing things on time and handing them in and, and all, of that, all of that jazz. But if I decided I didn't like a topic, it was going to be hard. It was yeah. going to be hard. So I, in college... Uh, as soon as they let you start to choose your own cur curriculum, I noticed that I was choosing classes that were all noon or later so I could sleep in. And I would choose, you know, the path of least resistance because by the time I was a senior in college, I knew it was going to be show business for me. I yeah. knew that I was probably not going to get into journalism. I was going to go into stand up and then get into acting. And so I thought, let me just get this degree and get the hell out of here. So whatever I need to do, let's do it so I can get out there and get gigs. So, yeah, I mean, I, I not I don't know what life would be like if I didn't have this, if I didn't like this. Yeah, because because the idea of of doing anything else seems so foreign to me. And I've struggled with that, you know, of yeah. like, oh, this is the only thing I'm good at. And oh, this is the only thing I know how to do. Um but I've also realized that like it's such a it's such a gift because I, I every so often I get to do the thing that makes me happy like nothing else does right. you know um, and even if it, even if I'm not being paid like there'll be some auditions that I do where I'm like oh god that was fast <laughs> yeah I've noticed nothing that. since March nothing <laughs> since doing it in my closet but <laughs> well that's because you were telling me this before we started you like to go into the office you like to be directed. That's yeah. your process. You, you yeah. need another ear in there helping you to make a judgment. And in my case, I enjoy being directed. I don't want to have to hit the red button and then become self-conscious. Yeah. But if that means I don't have to get in the car and that means I can be around to help out with the kids, I'm going to choose here. I'm going to choose my booth sure. here and do it that way. But yeah, I'm pretty sure that I would probably book a little bit more if I went in and had somebody say, uh, why don't you try that one more time, but do it more like this? Because I've heard the other people coming in today, and this is going to set you apart. See, I don't yeah. get that advantage if I'm doing it at home. Yeah. So that the person doing it from home, the person in Boise, the person who is across the country, who is submitting things to a non-union booking site, who is going to have to find their own way, you do have to become a good director of yourself. And that's and hard. It's so brutal because it, it, it's not a quick process, you know, no. especially because as creative people, I think we are self-deprecating at our core because yeah. 
it's either a defense mechanism that you honed at a young age or or it just does go hand in hand with um performance but uh man especially like i forgot how to do it entirely at the beginning of this whole process before i built this you know whatever i got Uh um i uh i forgot what what i used to do what what my my um process was when i used to record from home and so oh my gosh man i would get these auditions and i would spend two hours on one audition because (laughs) it's just like with any self-tape you you have the freedom to do it as many times as you want and get it perfect yeah one take can become dirty then you got to remind yourself that there there is not perfect it's like did you feel healthy like when you came out of there did you feel like you were present and you were doing a good performance the answer is no okay then you can do it again but like i would do it i'd come out i'd splice together different takes and then let's know be like oh this this sounds like a frankenstein take yeah um and i've gotten much better because the other thing is when you're going to record in at a casting office or you're going to record in the in in the agency's office um you tend to uh do a lot of the work before you go into the booth yeah whereas at home I was not doing that. I was like, oh, it's time for the audition. I guess I'll just go into my booth and I'll just figure it out while I'm at the microphone. And so you get 15 minute recordings that you go and then you edit them and you're like, I don't like that. And so you go back in, you know? Yeah. You have to know yourself because there are people, I'm, I'm one of those people that I like to work on the fly and uh, I don't like to over-prepare. Now, if I see it and I can see, all right, this is several pages of animation. It's probably not a good idea for me to read this for the very first time as the audition. So let me take a look at it. But for the most part, if it's commercial copy or if it's a shorter audition, I will grip it and rip it. Uh, And this, I believe, this is, there are probably three reasons for this and they probably all factor in. One, I think I'm a little bit lazy and (laughs) I just say, I I, I don't care. I'm just going to do it this way. Two, 10 years as a stand-up comic and, you know, doing a thousand shows over that time. Over, yeah, you just learn to trust your instincts as a performer. And three, I believe I have an innate ability to read and understand very quickly. I'm a very good reader. I was always a very good reader as a kid, so I can see that copy. I've read commercial copies. Skill, well, you can certainly get. You can certainly get better at it. Uh, Some of it, I think, is innate because my son is a natural reader. He's a voracious reader, and I was a uh, reader as a kid, too. And then I abandoned it for years when I was on the road. I hardly read anything but magazines, which is a waste of time. And then I got back into books again, like real books. And your, your comprehension is important. I can stay just ahead of the copy. I, that's just something I'm able to do. I'm sure that you can polish that skill, but some mm-hmm. of it is innate. Some people just don't read well. They're very smart. They're very bright and intuitive, but they just don't visualize the words as well as some other people do. Sure, so they need sure. time. You know, you see it at auditions. Or there's an exhaustion factor too, I yeah. think. Like I, if I am running up to the mic, if it's, you know, if it's a, if it's for like a Disney Channel promo or something like that, and it's yeah. like, it's three pages long or something, and I'll get that first paragraph. Great. It's like, you know, yeah. I kinda, next up on Disney, you know, yeah, and then by the true. end of it, I'm like, <sighs> I can't, yeah. my mouth can't keep up with my brain. You know, that is true. That is something that I, I am not one of the people that can keep that level up. If it's a promo and first of all, I don't do much promo to begin with. Sure. So that's a different skill set. But 
if you're doing sort of a testimonial or an industrial and you've got to read a lot of really complicated uh, technical copy that you have to act like you understand, even though you have no idea what you're saying. Yeah. Yes, there is a fatigue factor that will set in. And I'm, I'm still pretty good at that stuff. But where I shine is in the one to two pages. Like I yeah. can I can hit you with it. But, um, you know, uh, that's that's more of a KO puncher by round five or six. I'm just getting touched up. Yeah. You know, I, that, yeah, I'm, I'm done. So, yeah, it is a different animal. And if you know Actually, yourself. I feel like I'm the complete opposite. Yeah, well, then that's how you work. And, and it's, it's worked for you. So we do these things because they work for us. Like, if I ceased to book anything outside of what I was doing, I think I should probably reexamine what I'm doing. Yeah. But I have taken the time sometimes to do it differently. And I don't know if the result would have been any different. There is so much competition now that I know my booking ratio is minuscule compared to what it was. And yet, I think that's probably the case for most people. So many Absolutely. more people are in this business now. But again, if I was just doing on camera, yeah. if I was only pursuing on camera, I would maybe have had six as like a work, like a successful, let's say I was just successful, let's say I was just as successful in on camera uh -huh. as I am in voiceover right. uh, at this date and time. I'd probably have had six auditions this year. Okay. <laughs> you know? Like self tapes. Yeah. Uh, whereas with voiceover, I mean, the sheer volume of auditions yeah. kind of takes away from that. Like my, 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 my best friend, Tony calls it farting into the wind where yeah. like, he's like, you can just sort of do it and forget about it because yeah. Uh, especially if you're, especially if it's one of those things that like, you don't really give a lot of shits about, like, yeah. um, it, like, I don't care. I'd sure. I'd love to book a Wendy's commercial. I'd love yeah. it. But yeah. like, I'm not going to be, I'm not going to be bereft, <laughs> you know? Right. Um, and you have so no choice, but to forget about it because if you like, I remember my first year with CESD, I came over from KSA, a smaller outfit. Yep. And I told them when I met with them, I said, I had 175 auditions last year. And uh, they said, oh, well, how many did you book? I said, I don't know, 12 or 13, which is a monster ratio, by the way. Monster. I, I've never even come close to that with CESD. <laughs> However, every year I had with CESD has dwarfed what I did at KSA because sure. my first year with CESD, I saved every piece of copy they gave me. I read for a thousand things wow. that first year, 20 things a week. So... You have no choice but to forget the vast majority of those things. Now, an average year now for me is going to be probably in the five to seven hundred range, I guess. You know, that's the number I have of things. No I have no idea. I, I could not tell you about I, I stopped counting. I stopped saving and I no longer look. I have a vague idea that usually it's it's a rare day that goes by where I don't get anything. But, you know, it might be one day yeah. a week where I don't get something. But the other days may just be loaded. So it averages out and you have no choice but to just read well, now, it and move on. Now that we're recording from home too, yeah. like I have my days where I where I devote time to it. So like sometimes, yeah. you know, you'll have an audition where they'll they'll send it to you on a on a Tuesday and it's like, hey, it's due by next Tuesday. And yeah. it's like, okay, I'm gonna save this. Yeah, I'll in push the zone this back with yeah. the stuff that's due on on Friday. Yeah. You know? Um and especially if you get like a, a really meaty one that you want to yeah. focus on more. You know, 
And then, of course, there's times where, like, they hit you up on Friday night and they're like, can we get this in right now? Can we yeah. have this now? Oh, uh, yeah. Sometimes you'll, it'll be noon <laughs> and they'll say we need this by four. too much stuff on this. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, it, there's just no, like, I'm going to give it my best shot and yeah. then it's and then it's out there. And right. I know I'm not going to get feedback. So the only way I'm ever going to hear anything about it is if it's a booking. Yeah, you know? exactly. Whereas with on camera, it's like, hey, can you try this again? And mm-hmm. hey, they really liked you, but they needed somebody with bigger eyebrows, you know? Yeah. Um, they didn't like how you walked through the door. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. That, uh, or you know, they, they, you know, you filmed it. Uh, you didn't film at landscape. It's, <laughs> we didn't tell you to film at landscape, but we, we kind of wanted you to film at landscape. I um, I do not miss even that little bit of time I had in the on-camera world as far as the auditions went. Um, obviously, working on set is a different animal. It's it's really 100%. fun. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You, you're treated very well almost always. Royalty. The, yeah. The auditions <laughs> usually for the higher, you know, profile, the project, usually the more interesting it might be. But when you start getting into grinding it out and God forbid, if you're auditioning for commercials on camera, I, yeah. I had a commercial on camera agent for a few months and then they dropped me because I kept leaving town for stand up, and I was not broken up at all that they dropped me. They said, you just never hear. I said, that's cool yeah. because the last audition I that's went accurate. to- yeah, that's accurate. Yeah, yeah, fair, fair enough. Fair appraisal. The last audition I went to for them was a callback for a Ford truck commercial. And I think it was probably around 98. And I had to sit there and I had to sway back and forth and snap my fingers at two other people and sing this Ford truck commercial like I gave a rat's ass. And I thought, I wouldn't mind if an anvil fell out of the ceiling and landed on me right now. This is awful. Yeah. I hope I don't get this. I don't want to get this. I need the money desperately, and I just don't want to do it. And I realized, yeah, I this, mean, this would make there's me There's so many different facets of of being a, a an actor or being a performer. I mean, I've never done stand-up, but I had done a ton of, of on-camera commercial auditions. Mm-hmm. And like, uh, when you're a kid, it's just another piece of it, right? You just yeah. keep, it's just another part. And so you just do what you got to do, and then mm-hmm. it's on to the next one. Um, and and then I remember like being a, a, a teenager in my early 20s and really being bogged down by it. I'm like, why am I devoting any energy to this when I know I've got other big stuff that I'm trying to devote energy to? Right. Um, and what's funny is like I, I had again, CED was my was my on camera commercial and um, and they were great. And I got a bunch of auditions and I booked some commercials and mm-hmm. um, uh, but like. I also remember some of the stuff that they would ask you to do in these commercials. I'm like, I wouldn't do this for a feature film. Yeah. Like, you know, I'm, but I'm being put in this position for a commercial. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, and uh, uh, there was, I remember when I was a kid, I booked a voiceover for, you remember the Hess truck? The um, Hess truck's back and it's better than never. Might've been an East Coast thing. I don't know. Yeah. Well, I grew up in the deep South, so I don't remember the Hess truck. Hess truck was a, uh, I believe it was gas, but it was they had these like line of toy, um, okay, like like uh, uh, sixteen wheelers, fourteen wheelers. Right. I don't know what they're called, uh, semi trucks, and uh, and they also had like you know jets or whatever. Uh-huh. Anyway, uh, I booked the voiceover for like the kids singing uh-huh. of like, and I had a little solo and it was great. Yeah, and then I got an audition for the on camera one, and there were like a thousand kids there. And when you go in, they were like, okay, we want you to sing like you're a choir kid and do this with your hands and just pretend to sing, right? Uh And they play the music. 
That's your me, voice. Right? And I'm like, <laughs> right? And I booked it. And then I, <laughs> and then I go and I get on set and they're giving us our roles. And they gave my role, because I was prepubescent, to uh-huh. a female. And I said, hey, real quick, that's me. That's my voice. Maybe uh-huh. I could sing it. And they were like, no, it's not. People aren't going to believe that that's your voice coming out of the thing. And I was like, uh. And I, I remember thinking to myself at that, that time of like, this is so unjust. This is not fair. But I have no power. I no. can't put my foot down. Not only am I a child, but I'm just the talent. You right. know? Yeah. Um, I don't know. It's I, uh, not a fair business, but it's, um, I mean, I've told I, this story before. I was, I am Spider-Man on the Islands of Adventure, uh, Amazing Adventures of Spider-Man ride. Okay. Yeah. I'm Spider-Man and J. Jonah Jameson. So Both? Yeah, both. Wow. Yeah. And, and I booked that apparently over all the people they read for in Los Angeles. I still lived in Orlando at the time. I was doing scratch tracks. So which Spider-Man is this? The original movies? No. With Tobey Maguire? No, this was just, um, this was uh, for the ride. So if you go to so Islands the, of Adventure in it Orlando. It was just your idea. It was your, it was your version of Jonah Jameson and, and Spider-Man. This yeah, exactly. Yeah, because oh. this was, we recorded this in 97, 98. And then wow. the ride came out in 99. We did some final things in 99. But yeah, wow. we, we'd been working on this for a couple of years. But in 97, I started doing scratch tracks for Sound Deluxe recording studios and production studios in Orlando because that's where I lived at the time. And they knew me because I'd done some gigs around town. So they said, here, we just need to time the ride. So do all the characters. So I did all the villains. I did uh, Jameson. I did Spider-Man. I did Peter Parker. And I would do these little, you know, scratch tracks for them. And I was so thrilled. They let me keep the tape of it. Oh, boy. And I got paid a little bit. And then the director came out to direct me. And he said, "Um, hey, I want you to be Spider-Man for the actual ride. He says, I listen to everyone in L.A. You're my choice. And you're J. Jonah Jameson. So I, I booked that thing. I was over the moon about it. And that ride, to this day, still there. It's 20 years old, 21 years old. It's still there. People still love it. But right around maybe 01, 02, I was at KSA. And I had been living in LA for a little bit of time. And um, this piece of copy came through. And it was an audition for a TV commercial for Islands of Adventure theme park in Orlando. And here's one of the characters from one of the rides saying, hey, come on and try the ride. And here's another one. So these characters from the different rides were were all talking to the camera about Islands of Adventure. And one of them was Spider-Man. And I looked up from the copy and I told the engineer, I said, can we just tell them that I am Spider-Man? If they're looking for the voice of Spider-Man from the ride, I am. So they can they can stop the search. You found me. And he said, yeah, they know that. They want you to read for it anyway. Yeah. And so I read for it and I did not get it. <laughs> so I thought, but... It's me, the character that's on the ride that's talking yeah. to you. That's me. Don't you want me to do me? No, they, yeah. they gave it to somebody else. I thought, I, uh, yeah. I, I heard a story. I think she, I think Jessica Walters told this story on some late night show, but how uh, for Archer, when they sent out the audition sites, they asked for a Jessica Walters type. And she slated and she was like, hi, this is, I am Jessica Walters. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, this was David Hasselhoff has like the story about that. He said, after Knight Rider ended, nobody would hire me for anything. And I was basically, you know, not working at all. And I saw in the breakdowns, they wanted a David Hasselhoff type. 
And I showed up and they said, no, we don't want you. We want a David Hasselhoff type. And he thought, well, I have hit the bottom. (laughs) I can't go any lower. I can't even be myself because nobody wants me. So Uh, a separate story that sort of, that sort of connected and it's quick is uh, I, I booked an episode of Oliver Bean when I was a kid Uh and I was playing a, uh, like a, a quartet, Uh somebody in a quartet. And uh, they had the lines, but for the audition, they didn't have any music. And so we just sort of made up a song, right? Uh And they they got me with four other kids and we just made up a song and we sang it for the thing. And then we booked it, all four of us. And they were like, just do the song that you did in the audition, right? And we, they never, no one ever rehearsed it with us. And then we get on, we get on the set and then they try to like teach us this dance and it ended up horrible. Like just sounded horrible, Uh looked horrible. So then like a couple of weeks later, I'm in a loop group and we are looping this episode and um i redid all of the singing for it and the the i forget who it was I, she's still around but i forget what her name is uh, mm-hmm. who, who did the looping session she goes is that you and i lied and i said no that's not me <laughs> that's not me well, but I did. I looped over that, all of the singing roles yeah. for what was on camera because it sounded so atrocious. I once did a job in Orlando, and Orlando is non-union. You could work non-union. So if you could do one union job, and they wouldn't force you to join. So mm-hmm. your first union job could be anything. In my case, it was Sequest. That was the show that everybody read for to get your under five line part so you could get SAG eligible. And then you wouldn't join because there was too much non-union work. So that sure. second union job you landed needed to be awesome. And I waited to do that in LA. But I did a non-union show. It was called Out of the Blue. And they shot it out at SeaWorld. And it was these kids that basically worked at SeaWorld, these, you know, basically all beautiful teens that, um, you know, worked at the park. And I played a character called a Zimmy. And it was this sort of Beatles-type group. And they just all spoke gibberish. And they were supposed to be singers and they came to the park and one of the kids was a fan of the of the Zimmies. And we just ran around and just created havoc at the park. It was like uh, it was just like an episode of the monkeys. Right. 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 And I watched it and we were so thrilled to have this job. And they said, oh, we had to do a makeshift song that we made up and none of us could play our instruments. So they they just dubbed this music over it. And then when I saw the episode, remember, this is me in Orlando in 1995. I was barely working acting-wise. I'd done a little bit of stuff. So anything you could get to be part of your demo reel, you would save it. I watched the show. I recorded it. And then I immediately taped over it. Yeah. I said, no one must ever see this. (laughs) No one must ever see this. And I defy anyone to find that episode. I do not think it exists. So, uh, you know, I mean, I, I, I don't, I, there's never been anything. I, I feel like regardless of how I feel about it, I get a kick out of hearing or seeing myself in anything. Yeah. And I like, no one has watched my stuff that I've been in more than I have. Yeah. I've watched it over and over. <laughs> I, like, um, you know, I, it's, I, I'm, I'm my biggest fan, even if I'm not enjoying what I'm watching. I, the magic of hearing myself coming out of the television or seeing myself on screen still gets me. Um, and uh, it kills me that the majority, <laughs> the majority of the work that I have is nowhere. 
Like, really? you cannot find a performance that I did on Broadway. You can't find... Oh, well. Um, well, yeah, because no, they know, don't let you like, film their performances as part of the audience, you know. Yeah, but they do. They're 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 on there now for stuff that's been there in the past well, ten years. Now, none, yeah. none of like, um, I did this show when I was so I I did um I was on Blues Clues when I was a kid, and I was okay. on another show called A Little Curious, and A Little Curious still airs every day on HBO Family. Um, there's not a toy or huh. a if you look up A Little Curious on the internet, no pictures come up. It's still on television. I don't understand. There's no wow. footage. There's no like, um, and that's true with like literally everything I did up until like, you know, six years ago. I can't find any of it. Really? And yeah, and it bums me huh. out. I want to hear some of it. I want to see it. I'll look through stuff and I'm like, I mean, obviously, you know, any feature film I did um, is, yeah. is out there. But like, yeah. I mean, like, you know, uh, like like episodes of television shows that were big television shows. I can't find it. It's it's nowhere. Wow. And it's not on Netflix and it's not on, you know, <coughs> excuse me. YouTube. Wanna, you it's know. gotta be on YouTube somewhere. Uh, there, I did three episodes of SNL when I was a kid and of the 25th season. And um, they, this was back in the days where they used to have like guest stars. It wasn't just the host and it wasn't just like, now right. all the guest stars are played by um, the, 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 or the cast members that are like, um, featuring okay. you know yeah like the one-liners mm -hmm. and you know but in 1999 or 2000 or whenever i did it um you would have like you know eight to ten lines mm -hmm. you know and i i did i did one with um toby mcguire okay that was like a uh uh simmer do you remember the simmer down now sketch with sherry o'terry uh, vaguely yeah okay vaguely. so it was one of those and then i did one um i did one with jennifer aniston and Daryl Hammond, where the entire premise of the skit was that their kid doesn't like Pokemon, but they do, and they really want him to like Pokemon. And uh. he's trading away his cards or whatever. And it was literally like the three of us. We all had the same amount of lines. It was like, and it's gone. I have no idea where it is. I cannot find it. It's not on, it's like, uh, it's not on any YouTube or Netflix or anything like that with like previous seasons. It'll it turn up. Me out. It'll it'll turn up. Everything turns up. The only yeah. thing that doesn't turn up for me, and thank God, none of my stand-up is out there. None of really? it. Really? Yeah. There's one clip of me doing something at the improv maybe 15 years ago, 12 or 13 years ago for, I think Verizon or Sprint just did, hey, we're going to start showing comedy on our phones. And Whoever was out there that night for the showcase, you know, they would do like uh, a clip and they took one bit that I did and they put that on there. And and I guess if you hunt for it somewhere, you might find that maybe one or two minute clip of me doing stand up. But there's nothing from me in the 90s, yeah. nothing at all. And thank God, because I probably couldn't watch it. I mean, I would watch it out of some perverse fascination as to like, oh, my God, I thought that was funny. People yeah. thought that was funny. Hey. Yeah. I guess the difference is, I guess the difference is, is that I, like, it's like a different person to me. Like it is, you know, I, I, I watch, I, 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 my dad just sent me a terabyte of home videos because okay. imagine with six kids yeah. every day we're celebrating something right. like it's somebody's birthday or, um, and so I'm watching all these home videos and like, um, whether it's a birthday or whether he like recorded something off the television that we had done or mm -hmm. some community theater, something or other. 
and I don't remember it. Obviously, you know, right. I don't, I, I don't have those memories. I don't have any memories from like before I was thirteen. Yeah. <laughs> um, and and so it blows my mind because I'm not looking at it critically. I'm not like, oh my god, I'm so embarrassed that I said or did that. It's like, wow, that's crazy. That's really funny that like that happened. You know? Yeah. Well, yeah. If I go back to like. If I go back to the 90s, I probably could see it with some distance because it's half my life ago. And yeah. you are a different person. I'm a completely different person now in so many ways. And so I could look at it and probably not be that cringy about it because I would see that, okay, I was only in for a few years at that point. The audience seems to like it. I was worried about paying rent. I was yeah. Just trying to get some chicken wings from the bar after I got off stage. You know, this is me in Lakeland, Florida. So you you do have a certain perspective on it. But I am much more forgiving when I listen to something I've done than if I see myself on screen. But even the on-screen stuff, the last on-screen job I did was 98. So it was a long time yeah. ago, you know. And I see it for I what mean, it is. It's so funny because, like... Uh... I have such a, I mean, I, I hold my, uh, talent as a voice actor in higher regard than I do with on camera. I realize it's all just acting. Um, yeah. and I think I'm a pretty good on camera actor, but it's just different for me. And, um, I had a movie come out, uh, a comedy come out like just a few weeks ago. And then uh -huh. I have a horror movie coming out in like, uh, on December, uh, 15th. And they're both on streaming and they're not terrible movies, but they probably wouldn't be coming out if it wasn't for uh, everyone being stuck at home and them needing right. content. Right. Um, and uh, like, I watch those movies like that because that's who I am now. Mm -hmm. And so I tear it apart. I'm like, oof, <laughs> what are you doing? You know, uh -huh. I'm way more brutal with, with uh, any on camera stuff that I do now than I would have, than I would be of like the teenage cam who was probably stoned, you know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, it, I mean, to have worked at the level you did for on camera, I mean, imagine to work with Tobey Maguire and, and uh, let's see that the, um, the, the, the scenes you did in Seabiscuit were early in the movie. Correct. Yeah. Early, early? Yeah. Yeah. I don't think any, no, the, the, um, I never actually worked with Tobey Maguire. Okay. So you weren't in any scenes with him. But he no, was producing the movie, so surely he would have been around, I right? I mean, when you're a little kid and like, yeah. especially when it's, and I don't want to sound like an asshole, but especially when it's just like one of your gigs. Like, yeah. I, I remember when I was filming Seabiscuit, I did not care. Like, it was just a job. <laughs> and like, it was fun, but I didn't have yeah. that many lines. Right. Like, I, w I, think my, I think my character's name was something like uh, whatever his name was, brother. Okay. Like, I don't even think I had a name. And so like... Yeah, it was a very fun experience, and I do remember, um, like, being there and being in the, uh, you know, the honey wagon and getting to be on right. set. But I was not starstruck, and um, and I don't, I, I, I know Michael Angarano was in the scene, uh, but he was another kid actor, like, mm -hmm. you know. So I, held, I, I, I just sort of viewed that as like any other job. Um, with Mystic River, which was the same year, but it was was done in Boston. Uh, they made a really big effort. It was very cool. Like yeah. we were the, I was there for 10 days for those few scenes. Uh, Cause I'm only in the beginning of the movie. Right. Um, but uh, I met every single 
actor that was going to be in it. And I, and, and Clint Eastwood like spend a bunch of time with me and like, that's um, great. Tim Robbins showed up on his day off and taught me how to, there's a, there's a point before they get abducted, they're playing stickball uh -huh. in the street. He taught me how to do it. And like, um, yeah, so that maybe was a little bit cooler, even though I wasn't in any scenes with, with those guys. Um, were you aware of what a big deal Clint Eastwood was when you were working yeah. on it? I mean, you had to at least be marginally was, yeah. aware. Yeah. Yeah, I was. And I, I what was cool with that one was um, he doesn't really, or at least at the time I was told um, that he doesn't really conduct auditions. Um, so what I, I, I auditioned for it uh, on tape with, with a casting uh -huh. director at Warner Brothers. Right. And, um, uh, it, you know, it was a hard scene. It's a hard scene for an audition on tape. I mean, you're like yeah. about to get abducted and like, you know what, I, I was at that age, I was old enough to where like, I knew what they were implying. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, he's, he's asking to get in the car and you're scared about your friends or whatever. And mm -hmm. like, I, you know, what was nice was I was able to do it at the time. I, I was able to get there cause, and, and, um, not a lot of young kids at that time were able to do that. Now there's so many good kid actors, but, um. Uh, I remember I never heard. It was like three months later. Oh, really? I heard that. Uh, I don't remember if I did it. I don't know. I don't know if it was just based off of that audition or if I auditioned again, mm -hmm. uh, but I never auditioned with Clint. And so uh, the first time I met him was on set. Um, and yeah, I knew who Clint Eastwood was. Yeah. That was, I mean, like that was crazy. Um, well, and I had always heard, and I'm sure you can attest to this, is that his directing style is casual and yeah. he sometimes he shoots the rehearsal yeah. he doesn't want people getting too in oh their my own God, heads so many it. takes it was crazy so many takes i mean I, I just think like so there's there was um i don't remember how many scenes but there's like three scenes like uh -huh. there's not a lot we, t we did 10 days of shooting and like i mean just so many takes um but i do remember like there's a scene where I'm in the basement and these two guys are like approaching me and yeah. I've, I'm like, you know, I can't, I've obviously been down there for a while and I've obviously experienced some abuse and like, uh, -huh. uh we did like, I don't know, probably five or six and he could tell that I was, uh, it was taking a toll because, right. um, we did one, we did one where I'm wearing, where I was wearing pants and we did one where I wasn't wearing pants, uh -huh. like just underwear and uh, I was starting to get a little like self-conscious or yeah. whatever. And uh, he was like, okay, let's take a break or whatever. And then we didn't go back. We didn't, right. we were done after that. Uh -huh. And um, we moved on to the next thing, um, which I thought was pretty cool. Cause like, you know, as a kid, it's like, you can cry pretty easy, but anything on top of crying can be really exhausting. Like yeah. if there's real like emotional turmoil, if there's real tra traumatization there, yeah. Uh, it, it zaps you. It zaps oh, all yeah. of your energy. Oh, yeah. And you learn to navigate that as an adult. But as a kid, it's it's not as easy to, like, know your highs and lows. Yeah. Um, I, there's no way I would have had the awareness of that at that age. It just I just didn't have that in me. I was still, you I know. Mean, I had four older siblings that had done it before me. And, yeah. And, you it's know. good to have. Oh, yeah. 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 I, I mean, I found... I would recommend it for anyone that wants to get into acting. <laughs> I think start... Young, start with older siblings and, uh, <laughs> you know it'd be nice if like the first time you go into a casting office they're like oh you're this person's brother right you know gotta have that um, yeah. we like them they're really good maybe we'll cast yeah. you you know <laughs> well i remember this is just last year um 
No, it might have even no, it was uh geez, yeah, it was earlier this year. It was before the pandemic. It was um we did the final on set shooting for uh, a VR game that's coming out in a couple of days. It'll be out by the time Woo! this video comes out. Medal of Honor, uh, above and beyond. So I play Sarge, and at the end, um, you know, a character dies. I can't say who because I don't want to spoil it. But Sarge has to get extremely worked up, and he has to cry. And so we did, we did, uh, I believe, three takes. And on the first two takes, tears, no problem. Hit exactly what I wanted to hit. Third take, the same emotional intensity. I hit all the beats dry utterly yeah. dry i had nothing i had nothing and it wasn't like i wasn't feeling it it's just it was dried Your up body, and, yeah yeah and i learned something about myself and i was 50 and i'm learning this about myself oh i apparently have about two or three takes in me where i can cry after mm -hmm. that anybody's guess so that was very peculiar to me because i had not been pushed to that i i just thought of this for the first time ever I was doing this crappy Lifetime movie when I was a teenager with um, Daniel Baldwin. Okay. And, uh, uh, you know, I knew it was crappy. And, like, <laughs> you know, I think it was called Dynamite. It was called Dynamite, but then it became Family Under Siege because it was going to be on Lifetime. And so they had to name it some Lifetime-y name, right? Somebody has to be in peril. And if you read the script, there's this scene where they've abducted us and we're in our own basement and they've got dynamite strapped around us mm -hmm. and uh, they're trying to rob my family because his dad left, Daniel Baldwin's dad like left us some money or something and he feels like he's entitled to it and he's going through this speech of how his dad, you know, his relationship with his dad. Uh -huh. Daniel Baldwin is going for it. He is, he's getting the emotion, whatever, and you hear... Cut. Sorry, we got to check to get a waiver. And he lost his mind. <laughs> and I did not get it at the time. I, I mean, I didn't get it up until we just started talking just now because I did not get that he was there uh -huh. and he did not like being cut off in the middle of the scene, knowing now it's a trash take, not knowing if he could get back there again right. because he'd already went there. And yeah. I just didn't get it. As a teenager, I was like, you do know that what we're doing here, right? Like this isn't, yeah. <laughs> you're not going to win an Oscar for this. Right, right. Yeah, it is. It's a different animal when you're doing voiceover because you can exhaust yourself very easily. It depends on the kind of job, especially if it's a sure. video game. If Oof. you've got a page of cues, you're realizing this is going to add up. Um, but especially if if they're all like effort sounds or you're getting killed. Yes, you know? which is why like, I we don't hear you die twenty times in a row. Yes, yeah, see, I kind of stay away from those now. I, in the audition, when I see it. Sometimes they'll get a quick note back from me. Yep, this is a blood throat. I shall respectfully pass. Yeah. I have the luxury of doing that because I know what it's going to do to me here and sure. just up here. It, it'll just wipe you out. And yeah. yeah, that's something you save for when you're younger, your age. Exactly. You young yeah. guys, you can do those. Yeah. And, and also I, I credit uh, uh, speech pathology and being able to do it healthily. Like there are ways to scream yeah. and not completely just erode everything. But if you're starting from a place like, I mean, I had screaming nodes on my on my vocal cords when I was a kid and like uh, a lot of money was put into making sure that I didn't do any damage. And so uh, I learned a bunch, I learned a bunch of tricks and stuff about being placement uh, so that you, you don't injure your throat. Um, right. Your cords. Um, but I've had those sessions, man, where like, you're like, oh, 
I have an audition for something really cool coming up and my voice does not sound like how it should. Yeah. Yeah. I, it depends for me too. Like I usually, unless they need it immediately, I will usually do my auditions at night after all the other stuff for the day is done. Then Mm. I can go to bed feeling like, okay, I did what I needed to. But sometimes um, I'll read a piece of copy and think this would be better if I waited till the morning because my voice right now, it's the evening for us now. It's um, yeah, so you're completely warmed up. Yeah, I, it's a it's 647 right now. My voice is an octave higher than it was this morning. My voice goes up during the day. I don't know why, mm-hmm. but I'm just one of those people. If they want something low and textured and gruff, now is not the time for me to read it. I can sort of get there, but tomorrow, tomorrow morning, I'll be able to do it effortlessly. Effortlessly. Well, yeah. The thing to know is that, and I, I'm, I know you know this, but I'm saying it for the guy in Boise, right? Like, yeah. the thing to know is that you can get back to where your voice sounds now. Like, you might not be able to get back to the way that your voice sounds in the morning, but as long as you're doing it in the morning, who cares, right? Right, like, exactly. But you can warm up to get your voice to where it is now yeah. in the morning. Yeah, um, like in the morning. You can, always, you can always go You can always go an octave up. You can right. always warm up to where you know, you, you've stretched your, your cords enough to where y- you can figure it out. I mean, yeah, you can, you can shave that texture away just by getting yeah. warmed up. If it's something where they need texture, I won't say a word, you know, I'll, yeah. I'll save it. And yeah. yes, naturally there it is. But, uh, uh, yeah, it's, I, I, Kiff Vanden Heuvel, who I've had on here and I've done his podcast. He's working now with a singing coach because He's discovering more octaves. He's discovering yeah. how to go lower and higher. You, having done Broadway, you've trained to do all this stuff. I think Broadway has done damage. I think that it was the what a Broadway allowed, which was like my parents uh, put a huge amount of importance on uh, proper training uh, because when you try to sing and act at the same time, you're not focused on proper vocal placement and okay. proper breast support and whatever. Um, and so they really, I mean, they, they hit it out of the park there. Cause I did not want to do that. And uh, it was literally like, okay, but do you like being able to sing on stage? Because you're going to ruin your voice. If you don't, if you don't take care of this now, you know, right. um, back to Kiff, man, I cannot say enough about Kiff. I mean, that dude is my hero. Well, I, he's a guy who is all about having passion for what you're doing. Oh my gosh, he's taking voice lessons and he's doing, you know, he's doing those, those, uh, uh, physical, I forget what they're called quadriceps or something where like, he's like walking around like a monkey and, uh, (laughs) you know, he's, he does on camera and he does theater and he does all this stuff. And actually, um, uh, he coached me on something yesterday. Oh really? I hired him as a coach for a role that I would like to book, but Uh, is kind of out of my comfort zone. Right. Um, and I respect him so much. And I just, uh, I was like, hey, would you, uh, would you coach me on this? Because A, I feel comfortable with him. And B, I just respect the hell out of him a- right. as a performer. But also, you know, you can just hear and see the love that he has for this. Yeah. And, and it's different. It's different than mine because he has a family just like you where it's like, yeah, it would be great to only worry about this for just having fun. But he's also got to work. And so he yeah. does everything he needs to do. He does the, you know, whatever job he wants to do, whatever he's going to do the singing lessons, he's going to do the quadruped because he just wants to make himself as, as full as possible. Mm-hmm. It seems from the outside. I don't know. I respect the hell out of him. Oh, he, yeah. He's such an inspiration to me. Well, 
in anything you do, you're always going to come across people that are sort of operating at the peak of it. And you can, you know, usually are wise to take some notes, even if yeah. they're not working as much as some people are. Um, the fact that they have this absolute commitment to doing it. I've always admired that. I would see it in stand up. I was committed to it in the beginning of my career. And then I started to get a little too full of myself as far as what my expectations were. And say, so, oh, I have all these people telling me after shows, I'm going to be famous. I'm going to be this and that. Yeah. So I started to ruin myself with expectations. And so sure. if a gig wasn't providing me with, I thought, enough room for upward movement, I'd be dismissive of it. I would do it, but I would just you know, think, well, this isn't going to get me where I need to go. Well, that's, that's just a shitty attitude because frankly, if you're trying to build an act, then every single chance you have to get on stage is a chance to get you where you need to go. So here's somebody like Kiff who has that attitude who says every single thing I can learn how to do is going to help me get to where I need to go. Even if it doesn't reflect in my career, it's going to reflect in my joy of being a performer. So if I'm the but best also, performer I can be, you know, I, like I, I, for better or for worse, I'm a big fan of tools. Like mm-hmm. I think as many dialects as you can muster as many, you know, just, just as, as much as that you can bring to the table, because you never know when that is going to be the unique thing about you that gets you the part, regardless yeah. of whether you know it or not. Like it, you don't have to get a Scottish, uh, you know, an audition with a Scottish accent to have that sort of play into it, into your read. Right. Or like, you studied journalism, mm-hmm. like the way that you research a role, the way that you break down scenes might be very different from me. And not because you're any better or worse as an actor. It's just because you have that experience. You have right. that, like that background, or maybe mine's better or worse because yeah. I don't have that background, you know, right. like, um, because just like in the way that you feel comfortable and you feel like it, it benefits you to do some stuff off the cuff. Mm-hmm. For me, it's more about the confidence factor of like, Okay, I'd like to be off book for this one because I need to fully play pretend to get mm-hmm. into this one. And and to fully play pretend, I got to I got to be off book. I got to have made my choices so that I can take direction one way or the other. The confidence comes from knowing that whatever they throw at me, mm-hmm. I've already made such strong choices and and made uh filled out this character so much you can throw anything at me i can take any direction and change it in any way that you want because i've already built something yeah whereas i feel like if i didn't build anything and you were like hey we want to hear your version of this this and this i'd be like okay give me uh 10 minutes in terms of a casting director the environment they set up is very important because it puts you at ease it makes you confident in the choices you're about to make keeps you in the moment the ones who are maybe not as into it or maybe are just sort of getting you in and out or maybe you're focusing on the wrong things, the things that you think aren't helping you give your best performance, it, it makes a difference. And sometimes it's just their method that you click with. Like Elaine Craig to yeah. me was always my favorite. And John, John Mitchell does something similar where yeah. like, you know, uh, uh, because he, they work together for yeah. the longest time. Mm-hmm. Um, and man, I just feel like I, it's that environment. I miss it because it felt very New York. It uh-huh. felt like you would go, you would do, you know, six rapid fire commercial auditions or what have you uh, at six different casting offices in New York. Mm-hmm. And it, you'd be up against, you know, your peers as opposed to the 1500 that are being sent in around the world, you know? Right. 
Yeah. And you'd be working, you'd be acting with another actor. And usually they would only call you in if they thought you could book it. Uh, As opposed to like, you know, we're just going to cast a super wide net. Yeah. Um, uh, and it's definitely a shift. I mean, it's like, I, I, I look, I love getting, uh, a, 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 expanding my horizons when it comes to being an actor and like auditioning uh -huh. for, for whatever they throw at me. Um, but it did used to be different where it was like the cast directors knew you and they brought mm -hmm. you in for the stuff that, that they thought you would be best suited for. Right. You know? Yeah. And I, I, I think technology drives more things than we realize. Technology, to me, is driving the way news is disseminated and presented because of how people connect with information on their phones. And so they have to change how it's delivered to you and, and, um, and what information they leave in, what information they take out because they're thinking about clicks when it comes to voice acting. Because we're not going into studios now, because... The uh, a lot of the buyers, a lot of the big ad agencies are going outside of the union to find talent from anywhere in the world they can find them. Sure. It's changing the way we audition for things. And now because you have the ability to start a Twitch stream like I have or a YouTube channel and put content on there, you might say to yourself, OK, if I can't get them to notice me one way, I can get someone to notice me another way. I do these things recreationally. I'm not trying to make a bunch of money out of them. It'd be nice if I did, but it's not a big deal. I do it because I'm connecting with people who are watching. And with YouTube, I get to create things and put them up there. It's fun. Yeah. But, and it's on, it's, you have some uh, control. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you do. Yeah, you You're do not, have some yeah. control on what you put up there. But I've seen a lot of young voice actors who have decided that, well, if I can't book a job through the normal route of auditioning for things, I'm going to put everything I can do up on YouTube and I'm going to create all these reels and I'm going to create all these videos of whatever it is I can do. And I figure, okay, do it. I mean, there is a professional technique that you should probably learn so you just don't come off as a little too Green. raw or unpolished, yeah. you know, but at least there's some power put in the hands of the artists, the, the actor, to be able to, sure. okay, create your own stuff, get it out there. If, if this business has changed so much that people who might normally have gotten a way in are being shut out, okay, you're going to have to create it yourself. And it's challenging because you can even remember a time when if you wanted something to be seen by other people and you wanted to make it yourself, you had to go out and rent the equipment and yeah. do it with your friends. And yeah. now with basically an iPhone and some Any phone. basic <laughs> editing software, yeah. you can make something happen. Sure, sure. Yeah. It's so funny. Like I, because I, uh, I, I resist, I resist, resist a lot of this. I don't have a YouTube and I don't have, um, I literally just got a TikTok like two days ago. I don't have I a TikTok. The, well, I wanted to use the duet feature. Because okay. we were doing the 20th year anniversary for a musical that I did. Okay. And uh, I was like 10 years old. And the guy who played the lead in it did a TikTok where he was singing just his portion of the main of one of the main songs from the show uh -huh. with my character. And he was like, hey, anybody duet me? So I was like, cool, I'm going to download this. I'm going to duet him as a, you know, pudgy 32-year-old. Uh -huh. And like, um, uh, and so I did that. And, uh, and then... I was watching um, something on NBC, maybe a football game or something, and I saw a commercial for on Thursday. They're doing like Broadway is back night, mm -hmm. where all these people from Broadway are performing, and they're like with stars like 
this person and this person that you know. And they're like, and TikTok singers. And I was like, what? <laughs> Broadway night with TikTok singers? And it's true, man. Like, it, 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 people, it's not just American Idol. It's not just, like, th there used to be ways to get into this industry if you really wanted to, like, play the lottery. Uh -huh. But now, there's so many talented people all over the place. Yeah. And, uh, and, and the cream is rising a little bit. And so... I kind of agree with you. I think that like, if you want to, if you're not getting the opportunities that you want and you want to make a internet video or you want to get, you know, get on TikTok and, and do something. Did you see that they're doing like a, a Ratatouille musical on TikTok where they're writing it from scratch and it's completely crowdsourced? <laughs> no, I didn't see that. That's oh amazing. Oh my gosh. They've written this beautiful musical and you got celebrities that are doing TikToks trying to audition for this crowdsourced musical that's being made by teenagers on TikTok. Wow. It's crazy. This is, it's going to take a while to sort itself out. Um, sure. Maybe it'll never sort itself out. Maybe everything has been sort of thrown wide open and you're not going to get the horses back in the barn again. Obviously you'll have major studio productions because there's always going to be the tip of the spear as far as um, yeah. the best writing, the best actors, the biggest stars, the best uh special effects obviously yeah. aaron but sorkin ain't doing no instagram story probably not <laughs> and if it is it's going to be a lot longer his dialogue <laughs> needs room to breathe so yeah. i, I it's think... going to be longer but he's going to fit a lot of words in there <laughs> yeah he sure is but i mean there's also i've always said you don't have to pay a lot of money for good acting and good writing that just comes from somebody who has the talent for it who has worked with it you know and yeah you can do something that is at least acceptable technically now with the information we have or the tech we have. My brother is a graphic designer and animator. He lives in Texas. He has shown me what he's been able to buy for about 50 bucks with an animation suite for his computer, the things he can do compared to what you had to have an entire crew for 20 years ago are amazing. Yeah. And so yeah. I can do a voice. He can animate it it can look like it is something that could be on TV already. And this takes us an afternoon, you know, at least Crazy. to do a couple of seconds. Crazy. So, yeah. I like having that much ability to, uh, to create something. And yet we still need that upper echelon of the business. Um, of course. Yeah. Creatively, it may not lead the way like it used to, but technically professionally, I think it's still a good guide to have. I think it's important, at least, that people take advantage of these platforms that are out there. I mean, I, I sort of looked at them from a distance for a while. I thought, YouTube, yeah, that seems kind of fun. And I, I, I used it as a dumping ground for all these clips of jobs I had done, gigs and shows and things. Mm -hmm. And it, hardly anyone paid any attention to it. But once I started streaming clips of me playing a game that I did a voice in, started to pick up steam a little bit. I started sure. to see, oh, yeah. There are a lot of other things you can do with this. And yeah, um, the fact that someone can create a channel and make it about anything they want, if they get enough people watching, they can monetize it and boom, they've got a career. No agent, no nothing. I mean, they'll end up getting an agent because the agent will get them sponsorships. And it's, it's this business curve that they've got to learn to go along with the creative side that- yeah. You know, very important. A lot of people don't pay attention to that. Yeah, I, I have I have a buddy that has been making money via social media for a while. 
but was also a kid actor and continues to be a very successful actor. But this is like his side gig. Mm-hmm. Like he also makes money doing social media. And like, um, I, I mean, cheers to him. I couldn't do it, but like, it, it takes a, it takes a lot out of me anytime I try anything on social media. But I think if it's something that, if it's a if it's for creative expression, yeah, why not? Why uh, yeah, why uh, like yeah, take money if it comes. Like if it's a creative, if it actually comes from a place of like, like not just okay, I'm gonna post you know this amount every single day, and it's not actually about the qu- quality, it's just the quantity, you know. Yeah. Um, I I I think that it. it is actually a beautiful thing and, and and it also if that opens doors in your preferred industry then awesome you yeah know? i tried to stick to a schedule of creating content i got excited about it and i thought oh okay well here's what i'm going to do i'm going to stream this many days a week and then i'm going to turn that into this many videos and after a few months of trying to keep that up i thought now nah, i'm done i've i this is taking all the piss out of me this is a job now, and I don't want it to be a job. Sure. And so yeah. now I stream two days a week, just enough to keep sort of my um, my sort of affiliate status so that you can monetize so what, a little bit. what are bit. you doing on your streams? You're playing video games? Mainly I'm playing a game, and I'm commenting on it. I'm connecting with fans of the game on my chat. It's so uh, cool. Yeah, it's fun. It's fun. It's a fun game to play, and then I'll try another game on a different day of the week. And um, I will take some of that. And I was making a lot of videos for YouTube out of it, out of that content. But I'd Mm -hmm. have to do the editing. And people tell me, well, hire an editor. It's like, you know, I have a certain comedy sensibility that I think the editor needs to have. And the amount of time I'd have to work with that editor to get the cut I want, I could just do it myself. But after a while, again, I'm married. I have kids. I have a voiceover career. I want to be a dad. I want to be Dude, a husband. You could have you you could be yeah. you could have fifty million dollars in the bank, and you're still gonna be like, "But I'm gonna pay this editor when I'm I could be buying something yeah. for my kid." Like, <laughs> this is coming directly out of the kid's college fund. I know it doesn't need to, but it probably it will. Yeah, I just think I want to enjoy this. I'm not gonna enjoy it if it becomes uh, if it starts to feel like I'm just clocking in and clocking out because yeah. these viewers expect a certain amount of content. <laughs> And I have to give it to him. And I thought, nah, that's not going to work for me. So what I've done is I've decided, you know what I'm going to concentrate on? I'm going to concentrate on having these chats like I have yeah. because these yeah. are fun, easy to edit. You clip out one or two things for tech reasons or whatever. And then boom, up it goes once a week and, and then good. And then maybe once a month, I put out a video based on some content from my stream. But I was doing like two days a week, I was putting up content. I thought, no, I, I, I'm not one of those young guys with a lot of free time sure. to be able to do this. It, it becomes a job. And I yeah. understand. Well, it and will you're exhaust also you. not always, I mean, you're not always in the right <clears throat> mental attitude to sit down and play a video game, you know, for, yeah. I mean, you don't want to have to, you want to do it on your time. You right. know? Yeah. Um, I will say, I'm so glad that you decided to, to do these conversations because I don't think you and I have ever, I mean, we definitely have never had a two hour conversation, right. we you know, I mean, I've known you now for a very long time, and you've you've always given me uh, a, a lot of great stuff. Like every so often at CESD, we'd we'd see each other in passing, and I'd bring something up to you, and you'd give me such great advice, or you would say something that was had nothing to do with anything else, and I'd be like, "Oh, I'm gonna take that. I'm gonna take that. And yeah. I'm gonna do something with it." You know, these are these are things that like, I they're important because I am not 
a uh, a young actor in some senses of the word, but it's just a very welcoming, it's a very warm thing where I never experienced that with on camera. Like the community of actors that yeah. really do want the best for their peers. Mm -hmm. And they they uh, they respect, I mean, I can't tell you how many people I, I have heard say like, oh, I auditioned for that, but that's that's what should have, you know, that's that's who they should have cast. That's yeah. obviously the role. Yeah. Or, or when they don't book something, they think, ah, I would have liked to uh, play around with those people, the other people uh -huh. that booked it, but they got the guy that was right for it. Or, and um, that's just not the case when you're in a waiting room where like, you know, you could book something that could pay your rent, you yeah. know? And like, um, so, you know, it's cool that we got to talk all this time because I really do, you know, hold you in high regard. And I really appreciate what? all the friendship that you've given me over the years, even if it has been, a lot of it has taken place in the CESC waiting yeah. room. <laughs> but no, I feel the same way because I see where you're coming from. And I realized too, I remember telling you, I said, dude, you're what, 30, you're 31? Let me tell you where I was at 30, 31. I was, I was steeped in debt. And it wasn't even a lot of debt, but I was making so little money that I felt like, I don't think I'm ever going to pay this up. Yeah. I mean, at the rate I'm going, I'm mainly just paying the interest and yeah. nothing else seems to be happening. I don't know what's going on. And, uh, and then a couple of years later, things had turned around because I just yeah. kept my nose to the grindstone. And so yeah. anytime I see somebody who is uh, where I was, and you're doing much better than where I was at 30, 31, um, I just, if I see that they're wavering or that they're at a crossroads and they have this decision, I'll try to put it in context and say, hey, you might not have considered this, but yeah. I'm this age and I'm having an absolute career peak and it's lasted for a long time and I never could have seen that coming, but that's what this business can offer you, especially in voice acting, where they yeah. don't care that much about your age. They care about how you sound. Yeah. And there is so much work out there, despite the fact that it's incredibly competitive now. There's still a lot of work out there. And, and there always reason, will be, kind of. Yeah, I there mean, will be. And your ego never feels like it's attached to it in the same way it does with on camera. I don't know why. No. It just no. isn't. You know, they're not judging I, I, I you mean, in the same way. I think it's uh, the surplus of work. Um, and also, I think it's that when you make a very strong choice about uh, for, for something, if, if, it's a, if it's an out there role, you, there's, there's a greater chance that you're way off. Than, yeah. But also, we deal with just like on camera, but maybe to a greater de degree because it's like, you know, they have a call out for somebody, then they send out the auditions, and then that person takes it. Mm -hmm. um, you could be so right for something. You could yeah. give a great audition, uh, but Tobey Maguire said he'd do it. You know, right. like yeah. there's so many reasons why you might not book this thing. Uh -huh. And that is also true with on camera. It's just those reasons feel a little bit more personal. Like yes. on camera, it's like, we didn't like your face, dude. Like, yeah. Um, get your teeth fixed and then and then right. come back, you know? Well, or you reminded me of my, of my first boyfriend. And, yeah, yeah. Well, you know? plus- there's a way that I, I've often said this when you're in, I've said this to my on-camera friends who just aren't working. I've said, look, um, I'm in voice acting. I'm one or two auditions away from a good year. You know, yeah. you're one or two auditions away from a career. Yeah. If in on-camera you hit it out of the park in front of the right people about two or three times in a row, you're on a show or you're in a movie. And if that's the right show or movie, 
you're you're basically the next five to ten years of your life are going sure. to be radically different. And I don't mean you're going to make more money. I mean anywhere you go, they're going to put you in the nicest seat. They're yep. going to fawn over you. All of that if you hit two or three good auditions in a row and then carry that attitude into your work. And sure. maybe it's knowing that that makes a lot of people get into their heads a little bit too much. Like, I want this yeah. too bad. I know what this could mean. But but then, you know, like, I, I know it was true in my on-camera career, and I know it's true for some of my buddies, where, like, you have a good year, man. You have a good you, – you put a couple of good spots yeah. together, like like you book – you know, a recurring role in a big series or you mm -hmm. book a movie, mm -hmm. you know, you're a series regular on a show that gets canceled mm -hmm. and then nothing for two years. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, and you have to survive on the money that you made that first time. Yeah. And like, whereas with us, I never feel like I got that one job that yeah. is that, 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 that took every, you know, um, I've done some cool shit that I definitely put way too much of a, you know, my, myself into and, and have it, hold it in high regard in my career. Yeah. But what I mean is like, it takes so many jobs to get me to having a good year. Yeah. Um, and I rely on it being a plethora of jobs in a plethora of different facets. Mm -hmm. Right. Like, and so, you know, whereas with on camera, you kind of have to book those three jobs out of the 12 that you're going to get on the year. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of pressure. Yeah, it is. You're like a field goal kicker and the game is on the line. It's like, yeah. I've been sitting on my ass most of the game and now you're and I've been waiting in this waiting room for an hour listening to all the other guys audition. Yeah, yeah, Whereas exactly. Cam, Cam got 15 auditions done during that time from his yeah. bedroom. Yeah, exactly. I, I, um, there, for the most part in voice acting, if you book that one uh, campaign, Okay, that that might take care of you for the year. At least you'll make your P and H. If you book the animated series, that might take care of the next you know a few months. Even an animated series, if it's very successful, most of the time is not going to take care of your whole year. They don't do enough episodes. Um, if it's prime, no, and a lot time, of times maybe, now, if it's streaming, you don't even. Yeah, you're not going to see it's much results from done. it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. In my case, I managed to get the one example of an on camera or of a voice acting job where it was one audition and it changed the entire trajectory yeah. of, of the greatest I mean, show of all time. You know, how, you know that I'm a huge Simpsons fan. I have, yeah. I have Simpsons yeah. chests out on my wall and like <laughs> I, everything I own is Simpsons. It's crazy. I've seen every episode multiple times. It is, it is like such a big part of my sense of humor and it's, like, yeah, how I learned things growing up. I definitely shouldn't have been learning this from The Simpsons, but at, like, but so, you I did. learned so many things. And I mean, I remember sitting up. You know, it was on at seven thirty, and it was on at eleven p.m. on Fox yeah. Five in New York. And mm -hmm. I watched both showings because we didn't have TiVo, uh -huh. right? And like, I'd missed the first few seasons because I was a baby, right? And like, um, but yeah, I mean, I have seen every episode multiple times. And uh, I have more of a relationship with those with the animals on that show than I do with any of my extended family, like anybody outside of my <laughs> brothers and sisters and parents. Like I know most is lack. Yeah, and it's <clears throat> well. Now you're talking to mob says lack. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but and, the, and hey, like that that is also nuts. Like yeah, yeah. I watch the show now and I point out your voice and I feel like I've texted you or or Facebooked you or something. You might sometimes have. I'll hear. I'll Instagram or something where like I, I I'll hear your voice of like an actual character on the show and I'm like I, I 
That's <laughs> deadly. <laughs> no, it's great. I, I have, I've, I've said this and I'll always say it. It's the greatest job I'll ever get. Just being in the same ether as them, just sort of floating but around. It's that gratitude. On the same... like, yeah. I don't feel like you're being false. And so no. like, no. And no. so it's the, the, the gratitude of understanding your position. Oh and yeah. Like, and like really saying like, I'm going to live in the moment and be grateful now and yeah. say, this is the greatest job I might ever have. Oh, not, I already know. Not yeah. necessarily like just financially or fulfillment wise or whatever, but there's never going to be another Simpsons. It's just, it's so implausible that any show would yeah. run this long and be this beloved and have taken place when it did and stretch such yeah. boundaries and had the, the talent that was on. Yeah. I mean, look at the writers that have, what the writers have gone on to do. Oh yeah. You know, some of the biggest directors in Hollywood, Conan O'Brien, Brad Bird. Brad Bird. Like, yeah. I mean, come on, Matt Selman and like, yeah. um, you know, there's never going to be another show like this. And so the fact that you are aware of that and the gratitude oh, yeah. that you have when going in to do a show uh, with, with such like uh, with so much with, with what comes along with that show. Um, yeah. It's very cool because, you know, you, you, you kind of have to be right place, right time for some of this stuff. Like yes. you, you have all of this talent and you've worked so hard and the only way that that was going to happen with Simpsons is it, when both those things met, when you showed up there and you did your job and they were like, yes, we want Chris Edgerly. And I mean, the idea that, that you're aware of that, what, what you're doing and, and what it means to people is very cool because you could just be like, yep, I'm on the Simpsons, you know? <laughs> yeah. I, I, well, you know, yeah, you could do that, but then, you know, people start asking probing questions and then it comes out, oh yeah, well I do a lot of random characters you know, oh, are you so and so? It's like, no, that's 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 Hank. Are you so and so? No, that's Harry. That's Dan. That's Julie. And then, and then when they finally get to you, you realize, yeah, you know, I should be humble about this because it's, you know, it's, I I'm not carrying the show. I get to be a part of it. I get to be this little this little cog in the machine. Yeah. And it's it's people have asked me, what's it like to be on the show? It's like it's exactly as cool as you think it would be. Because you get to work with these people and you get to yeah. you get to see the sausage being made. It's the most entertaining sausage you could see being made. And Oof. then when it yeah, and then Matt Selman will will live tweet an episode when it comes out. He'll he'll tell the audience certain little things about how they produced it and how they came up with this joke and that joke. And and I've told my wife, I said, one day maybe just before the apocalypse, the show might end. She said, oh, but you'll get other work. I said, well, yeah, I know, but there will never be. She said, oh, well, there'll be other shows. It's like, you must understand this, baby. There will never be another show like this, not creatively, not as far as reach, audience, any of that. Or yeah, even financially, it's Look not going to happen. the success of the movie. Yeah. Like, what other show... Yeah. had like a, just a movie just a movie come out and like i mean i just and that's only halfway it through its mind. run <laughs> that was like year 17 i think is when the <laughs> i mean it's just kind of it's just kind of crazy because you you know yeah. you said one day it will inevitably end and like yeah that's true and that sucks and like uh, because it's been my whole life. I mean, it has been my whole life. I mean, life. I think literally, Not, I think you're about been, as old as the show is. It came out in 1989, right? Yeah. Like, like uh, I was born in 88. <clears> and like, yeah. it, it, it has spanned my entire life. 
And and like I said, it is a huge part of my being. Yeah. And I I literally I remember my my one of my best friends Josh put me on a uh, uh, limit of how many Simpsons references I could make a day because I was making <laughs> too many a day. And and I was like, wait, is it midnight yet? Damn it, can't talk. That's funny. Um. And uh, you know. I mean, I just remember certain experiences my, in my life that are connected to episodes in the show because that was when I saw the show, yeah. like that episode. Um, oh, I remember being pissed off that the uh, episode of They Were Going to Solve Who Shot Montgomery Burns, the big finale. I was pissed yeah. off because I was working that night at a comedy club. I was in Ocala, Florida. I remember where my hotel room was, and I remember thinking... I should have brought my VCR because it was 1990, whatever. And I could not record it on TiVo because it didn't exist. And I thought, I'm going to miss who shot Montgomery Burns because I have to go down and do this damn show. And I didn't want to do the show. I wanted no. to watch the episode and I didn't get a chance to. And I was pissed about that. Yeah, because it was a, it was an event, man. <clears throat> it was yeah. like... I mean, I mean that doesn't really exist anymore because we watch our shows. No, on our nobody own time misses or anything. They all come out at one point. You know, yeah. they all come out. You binge watch the whole show in one in one sitting. But like, um, you know, the finale of Seinfeld. Yeah. Or um, I mean, we used to have like, like, full on events. Yeah. Uh, where everybody watched it and everybody mm -hmm. saw it, and so you could talk about it the next day. Right. Um, I mean, I remember with my friends, uh, it was sort of like a known thing of like, I watch all of the cartoon Saturday morning cartoons late because I was busy on Saturdays. Right. And so I had my VHS tapes and I had, they, we had, <laughs> we were, we were kind of privileged. We had one computer in the, in the kitchen and we had one computer, I mean, computer television uh -huh. with a VCR that was like in it, uh, in, in, uh, the kids' bedroom. Uh -huh. All six of the kids, we shared one bedroom and we had one TV. And I would commandeer it on Saturday mornings, and I because I wanted to watch it on ABC and on WB. Uh -huh. And so then I would get home and I would watch those in like the middle of the night. Um, and uh, but th that was the thing was like there were some shows that you had to watch live, uh -huh. and you couldn't miss them because then you couldn't see them; they were gone now. Right. You know, you had to wait for for reruns. And I don't remember when Simpsons started rerunning. Um. Uh, it was probably, I guess, maybe around 94. Once they hit 94. like season five or something like that. Yeah. That's probably. that's And uh, what? Yeah. Who Shot Mr. Burns was season nine? Or I can't remember. I just remember that um, I was, I think I was still living in Orlando and I was just mad. And I was in Orlando yeah. until 97, like mid 97. So I just remember thinking, I didn't bring a VCR. And now I'm not going to know what happens. And I can't read the paper tomorrow because they're going to talk about it. Yeah. Whereas that doesn't exist now. It happens. People are immediately tweeting about it. And yeah. it's it's a different experience. It really is. Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Ah. Yeah. I, uh, I just got uh, Ready Player Two. I don't know where it is, but um, it's the sequel to Ready Player One. The book just came out. Okay. Yeah. I'm like avoiding everything about it because I don't want to. I, I, when was the last? I can't remember the last time I was like excited about a fiction book. Okay. To where I didn't want spoilers. Oh, know? really? No, so, I don't read fiction. I don't. I mean, I, I, I will listen to audiobook fiction, but I don't really read fiction. I am trying to do more reading. Usually I confine it to the end of the night. So I just read in bed before I go to sleep. 
And I have never read this book, and it's to my shame, but I'm reading it now because it's apropos, and I'm reading 1984. And I've always been aware of the book, and I know the concepts in it, but I've never read the school. I didn't, and I I read it. (laughs) I know. I have no excuse. I ducked it. I was supposed to read it, but I was good. I was a good enough student where I knew how to bullshit my way through an essay about a book. But yeah, so I'm reading it, and um, I'm trying to get through it because it's so sad. And yeah. I was even telling my wife last night, I said, baby, um, this book is making me sad. So all thought, I can say police? is, yeah, Don't Thought Police, thought Newspeak, everything. It's so sad. Probably because if I had read it when I was younger, it wouldn't have made me as sad. But I'm older now. I'm starting to get perspective on my life. I'm starting to get perspective on the kind of world we live in. And perspective on youth. And perspective like, <laughs> on youth, everything. And I look at my kids and I, I actually told her, I said, if all I ever get out of life is you and the kids, if I just get to be with you guys, I'll be happy. You know? Oh, and it's this book that makes me think this you. way. And that is what a great piece of fiction can do, especially when you're reading it and you're thinking, this doesn't feel so much like fiction anymore. Yeah. This feels a bit too close to the bone. Have you, uh, have you seen the movie Brazil? Oh, yeah. I saw it years ago. Similar. It's a similar story. Yeah, Um, yeah. I mean, you have a lot of dystopian stories out there. But But love story. I mean, like, you know. Yeah, usually, like, the last really good dystopian movie I saw, because for me, movies that are dystopian, usually the only way they're going to be entertaining for me is if they don't hit the same damn plot points, and it's almost always the same thing. And um, they've got to find a new way to do it. Like, I liked the Mad Max movies. It's not going to be this polished world. It's going to be a fucking wasteland. We're going to have a lot of fun creating characters that exist in it. But if you're seeing a movie that tells you the same thing over and over again, they're controlling every aspect of your life, the energy of those characters kind of just becomes your energy. And you're just thinking, I don't care about anything either. You know, yeah. and yeah, I mean, like, there's the difference between suspending your disbelief and like putting yourself as the character. It can it can really the, wear you down. The um, I don't know if you've ever listened to the audiobooks of the Harry Potter series, but um, there there's two different ones. There's ones with Jim Dale, and there's ones with Stephen Fry. And the Stephen Fry ones, um, I I listen, I love them. I listen to them for like mm-hmm. uh, creative inspiration. And I listen to them when I fall yeah. asleep sometimes, and um, uh, I skip the fifth one. Because it's such a depressing book. And I'm like, I I mean, if I'm listening to this, I'm Harry in this situation. And I don't want to uh, feel this way. <laughs> it can be tough. It can be tough. Um, and it's funny because um, I got to, well, virtually, it was all through Zoom. But Stephen Fry did a Simpsons. And so... Uh, um, recently, right? Or yeah, recently. yeah. They Well, they wrote about it. I don't know if it'll be... I don't know when it's going to finally air. These things take a long time. But yeah. Um, yeah, he's... Uh, I mean... He's a guy where you're you're busy. You you manage to get like one or two lines of chat in with him before you work, and you think, "I just had a mini conversation with Stephen Fry," and you start thinking of every single thing he's done or been a part of. Yeah, and you think, yeah. "Oh my god, this is uh, this is amazing to me." And well, it's so funny because like I, I'm I'm I've done audiobooks. I'm in this industry, and yeah. the idea that he sat down and read all like all seven Harry Potters and did all the voices. And they all sound different, and they're all amazing, and he's so connected he's to the story. Really, really good. It blows my mind, and it's and it and it's one of those things. There's another one. Uh, there was a Lord of the Rings radio play that the BBC did mm. back in like '81 or something. Okay. With John Hurt, 
that oh, one man. is like yeah. Well, he was uh, he was um, Legolas in the Ralph Bakshi Lord of the Rings. His voice. I've never... Yeah. Wait. Oh, I, I've seen the Hobbit. That was the cartoon. That yeah. Well, Ralph Bakshi I've seen the did Hobbit, a. But I haven't seen the. Okay. Um... Yeah. Oh yeah. The Ralph Bakshi Lord of the Rings is nothing like the Rankin Bass Hobbit from the yeah. late seventies. Yeah, it's that was trippy. like a little kids movie. It's trippy. Yeah, the Lord of the Rings one. You should watch that. It's pretty cool. I actually have an animation cell from it. So oh, do you really? I, yeah, I bought an animation cell from it, and I have it. I it's stored away now. Um, but uh, keeping no. it secret and safe. Yeah. Well, I was. I had it up on my wall, but we're we're staging our condo because we're trying to sell it so we can get into a house. And selling during a pandemic apparently is almost impossible. <laughs> yeah, so, I thought that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a bit of a chore. I'll just say that. But um, selling but, a house at any time sucks. I I mean I I sold my house. At the end of the last one, not the pandemic, obviously, but yeah. I sold it in 2011, bought it in 2005. Uh-huh. It was like, uh, you know, terrible, <laughs> terrible timing. <laughs> it can be tough, you know, and we're just trying to get some more space. You know, we need a yard. We need a little more room and all that. And yeah. we can't get into a place until we sell this one because we want to take the equity out and use it for the down payment. So we don't yeah. touch our retirement or our kids savings or any of that stuff, yeah. you know. So yeah, in the meantime, you know, we're we're living we're not threadbare. We had a lot of furniture. We just put about roughly half of it in storage. So I've got like four things on my wall and they're all Simpsons related. There's a signed script from everyone in the cast and there's a couple of animation cells and and uh, when the show won an Emmy a couple of years ago, I because I was a character in that episode, I actually got an Emmy certificate. So I Wow. I didn't know those existed. So, me neither. Yeah, I have an Emmy certificate, and they framed it, and they sent it to me. And I said, all right, well, that's, that's going so up on cool. the wall. Yeah, I'm definitely going to so show cool. that thing off. Yeah, but um, but yeah, I, I the the number of people that we get to intersect with in this business to me is amazing. And that's why I call it the dream factory, because yeah. I was watching this guy do this thing or that lady do that thing, and now I get to work with them or I cross paths with them. And it, it just sort of re-energizes you. Yeah. On the flip side of that, it does really suck when they're nothing like, uh, you know, you're like, oh, you're so nice on television. <laughs> I am I am very grateful. I have yet to meet somebody that I admired their work and I met them and they were less than what I had hoped. I've been very lucky. Maybe I haven't met enough people yet. I need to lower my expectations, it sounds like. Uh, yeah, maybe. Um, it depends on what you're expecting. Um, I, I Like anyone I meet through The Simpsons, they invariably tend to be on their best behavior because the show is kind of bigger than almost anyone oh, yeah. who's ever been on it. Um, yeah. Some people stand out as being even more amazing than I expected, like Brian Cranston, Paul Rudd, nicest oh. people in the world. Yeah. Incredibly funny and gifted. And yeah, extremely talented. I mean, like yes. Cranston, Cranston is, Cranston is vocally talented. Like yeah. his LBJ and his, mm-hmm. I mean, he really becomes character. So it doesn't yeah. surprise me at all that he was able to um, go there. Yeah, um, exactly. And, and um, I did an episode of Malcolm in the middle when I was a kid and he gave, he as a, as a guest star, he uh, gave us each, all the guest stars. And I'm sure he did this. All, I'm sure he did this every episode. I can't imagine uh-huh. if it was just for this episode. We got, I got a little goodie bag from Brian Cranston with a uh, Malcolm in the middle hat and all, all kinds of stuff in there. Oh, just that's as, like, awesome. a, hey, welcome to the cast. And you know, I mean, guest yeah. star. This wasn't like a recurring role. Right. That's so amazing. Yeah. yeah. 
that's the stuff you remember. Like I have not, I've heard stories, but I don't repeat them. You know, I, I've heard stories. I've never had an actual back and forth with anyone that's been unpleasant, but I, I don't doubt it when I hear somebody saying something about someone, you know? So I'm just, I just thank my lucky stars that I didn't have to go through that because it's no fun to meet a hero and they turn out to be, as you say, less than what you were hoping for. But I've always said that to myself too. I've said to myself, I don't care what an actor is like personally, if I'm just trying to enjoy their art, like in Mystic River, Sean Penn wins an Oscar, a deserved Oscar for it. He's amazing in the movie. And yet his politics are not completely what mine are. And he's, he's had a couple of like ugly stances on things with Venezuela. My wife is Venezuelan. She tells me, it's like, no, he's completely wrong about that. I thought, man, okay, that's kind of damaging for him to say this or do that. And I thought, okay, fine. But he's still one of the greatest actors alive. And I'll watch just about anything he does. So I don't care what he might be like in his personal life. It's none of my business. It's the business of him and the people around him to do something about it. So I think that's yeah. true. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I, I, I'm ignorant about the Venezuela stuff when it comes to Sean Penn. Yeah, I don't um, want to pull you into that orbit. But my whole point no, I is just that don't, I, I, I'm not. But I do. Uh, I think that it, you can you can disassociate a little bit the yeah. artist with the art. However, um, you know, I don't listen to Michael Jackson anymore. I can't do it. It doesn't, I don't can't like get music there, huh? anymore. Yeah. It's, so, it's your choice. It's your right. choice. And so, so uh, I think I'm, I'm, I think I'm a little bit further on the other side of that where I, 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 uh, okay. Kevin Spacey, right. That, that one's hard. There's been so many Kevin Spacey movies of that course. I've loved as an yeah. actor and whatever and i think he's gonna make a comeback at some point because we we all have short memories but like uh well you know here's the funny thing i will watch anything he's done i hope he doesn't make a comeback because i think he's gotten away with so much but yes i have passed judgment on him as a person based on what i think are reliable stories having said that is he brilliant in seven is he brilliant in um in uh, House of Cards, L.A. Confidential, in Usual Suspects? Of course. Is Michael Jackson absolutely crushing it in Off the Wall, Thriller, Bad, Some of Dangerous? You know, yes. But in the meantime, he was doing some very questionable things. So, yeah, it's, it's totally up to the individual. Like, I mean, I've made this decision. I'm going to go ahead and just give everyone the same treatment. I don't care how horrible you were, unless it's something that I just know too much about. It it might not get out of my head, but I will admire a Picasso. Picasso was an awful person. I will admire um, uh, something, you know, maybe made by um, a director who, or the Elia Kazan. Elia Kazan named names sure, back sure. during the blacklist period. I'll still admire Streetcar Named Desire. So I've decided... Roman Polanski's still working. <laughs> Roman Polanski, you know what? Yeah, this is something that Hollywood has never... They're never going to be able to get this right. one right. They never no. got that one right. It's like, that guy was always guilty. He admitted he did it. He just didn't want to come back and pay the piper because he thought he'd go to jail forever. He's yeah. forever been wanted here in the United States. That's why he's yeah. never made a movie here. And hey, here's an Oscar. I thought, yeah. that's a bit much. You, you yeah. don't, 
you don't, you know, there's a line there I won't cross. It's like, all right, look, I'm not going to hand you a fucking Oscar. You know, I'll recognize you're doing good work, but um, that's where I, I, I dissociate the artist from the art because, okay, would I have wanted Michael Jackson to bring my kids to his house? No. But that probably if, would have been true. That probably would have been true before any of the uh, yeah, allegations. Absolutely, absolutely. And so and and I don't even know what was ever even proved about him. I just know that okay, that's a little bit too suspicious as far as I'm concerned. So I'm not comfortable with that. But if Wannabe Starting Something comes on the radio, I'll listen to it and enjoy it. I have too much history with his music. Maybe you don't. I grew up with all I of do. that. I do. Yeah. I mean, I do. I just there's there's a lot of music. I mean, yeah. I um you know uh like prince prince my wife knows um you know a lot of people in the industry that knew him personally knows all the stories not a nice guy gave a lot really? philanthropically but not a nice guy mistreated a lot of people and in my opinion he is possibly maybe not even possibly definitely the greatest musical artist of the 20th century mm. I mean, or my wife says either him or gershwin but i don't know anyone that I would put above Prince as far as musical artistry, as far as overall accomplishments. Mm -hmm. And yet, eh, not a nice guy. Not not based on the stuff yeah. I've heard, things like I that. I think some creative geniuses yeah. um, get a little bit of a, they get, they, they get a pass sometimes, you know? Yeah, oh um, God, yeah. And, and when you give people that power, uh, their worst selves come out. You know, it's like, uh, what is the, you know, absolute power corrupts absolutely or something yeah you know, like, exactly um and uh whether that's like a sexual deviancy or or that's not the word um or uh you know treating treating people poorly yeah, in, just treating in, people in other badly, ways yeah. or um uh you know i mean what always gets me is like uh something i was terrified as as a kid and I guess I'm still scared about, but less, I have a better relationship with it now. It's like, if you don't show up on time, if you're not easy to work with, if you don't uh, know your lines, you they will not bring you back. You don't mm -hmm. get to work anymore. Mm -hmm. um, but you do see it sometimes. You do see yeah. like like people show up an hour late and it's like, oh, and then they're there the next week. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know, and I think that when you, uh, when, when people don't meet resistance from that, mm -hmm. uh, they learn it's okay. And yeah. I think with some musical geniuses, with some acting geniuses or um, people who really lose themselves in their work and they put out really amazing art, people give them passes and they just learn to keep going with those passes. You know? Oh, yeah. I, if you're making money for someone, they'll put up with quite a bit. I mean, we've learned this. Yeah. I mean, like yeah. I was never a big R. Kelly fan to begin with. So I don't listen to R. Kelly. He's a genius. Yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I don't listen to R. Kelly, not because... Yeah, I don't listen to R. Kelly, but it's not because I think, oh, well, he's a horrible person. I just never, none of his songs ever really landed with me. Maybe one listen, or you two. You never listen to Trapped in the Closet? No, that's just oh, too much. Brilliant. That's too out. It's that's brilliant. too much. Like Kanye West. I don't listen to Kanye West only because I, it just his music doesn't land with me. Like he has one sure. song, one or two songs I like, and that's about it. Yeah, I also happen to think that he is uh, in desperate need of care. Yeah. Like, I mean, real care. Like he needs no, people agree. round the clock tending to him because he's not able to do it himself. So, you know, I don't want to dogpile on the guy, but that guy is a guy in pain. And he's also just doing a lot of fucking ridiculous things. But 
if I loved his art, I'd say, okay, I hope he gets the care he needs, but his art is out there. I can take it and do what I want with it. The song is on the radio. It's in my MP3, whatever. So, you know, I'm, I've just made the decision that um, for me, it'll be about the art. A person would have to go pretty far out there for me to just write them off and refuse. Right. Like if Hitler's art came out one day and, and it was like yeah. brilliant. Like I'm not going to buy like... a Hitler painting. Yeah. And, and, you know, everyone has to find their level with it. Like some people like you and I totally understand. Like this is the idea of, you know what? It's like, Cam, I understand why you feel that way. And if I felt that way, I wouldn't consume someone's art. I wouldn't sure. want to, I wouldn't want to even subconsciously put that out there that someone is enjoying their work because I don't think, I don't think their work should be perpetuated. You know, you see it with sports players all the time. Like, oh, they'll, yeah. they'll, they'll get away with stuff in high school and, and college because they're mm -hmm. on that team. And then they go and they actually get a real job where like they're now being paid by the NFL and the rules are different because you're now being paid. You're yeah. not just a hometown hero and they can't stay in the league because they, they just got away with so much that they learned that if you're going to be a football player, you get to get away with stuff, you know? Yeah. Um, for some reason, I'm a little different about sports. Um, for some reason, if I think a person is a terrible person, um, I guess I can admire what they did on the field of competition, but I won't buy any of their stuff. I won't do that. See, that's so funny. I'm like, not sure why I, that I is. Never even, I've never even thought about it, but I have watched O.J. Simpson highlights. Yeah. Like, well, I'll I've watch even, it. He's not going to make <laughs> never, money for me watching his highlights. About, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, He's, I'm not going to put money in his oh, pocket. Dude. I'm not going to put mean, money in his but pocket. But here's the problem: is if you're a fan of any sports team, any sports team, like those are run. I mean, they look past so much stuff. My team oh, is yeah. the New York Giants. Okay. And a couple of years ago, they had a Pro Bowl kicker, and when he was at the Pro Bowl, they got his his uh, pregnant wife a different hotel room because he was beating the shit out of her. Oh And my then they God. gave him a contract extension. They oh, had to get man. his wife a different hotel room. Like, this is a very old administration that has, that, you know, gives a lot of money to a lot of places and they got all these, you know, they go and they visit kids in the hospital and they whatever, but then they do shit like this. And it's like, it reminds you that, oh, this is a money-making thing. This is a corporation. They're going to see what they can get away with so they can continue making, making money. Yeah. Well, I guess I should, I, I should rephrase it then because it's worthy of, uh, of consideration. If. A Michael Jackson song comes on, yeah, I'm going to listen to it. Who's going to get the money? As far as I can tell, his kids. His kids sure. didn't do anything. No. So if um, if a Kevin Spacey movie comes on and I watch it, if money is put in his pocket, um, I don't know if that would deter me or not. I've not really thought it through. I haven't felt enough of a level of discomfort to make a decision on it. With Sean Penn, he just has different opinions than me. I sure, can't sure. prove any harm. He's just somebody who thinks differently than I do. I'm not well, about to. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know. I don't know him at all. Yeah. I don't uh, know him either. I just know but, a couple of things he's done, but I but what's with, funny is it's, it's also believable. Like it's believable. Yeah. Because like, of, yeah. he's kind of, a, he's kind of a nut job anyway. Like, he's out there to be that good of an actor. Like to there, lose yourself in those of, roles. Yeah. You're a little, uh, nutty. there's a touch yeah. of madness there, but I mean, case in point, I had a chance to work with Oliver Stone. I worked on his documentary. Um, what is it? Um, uh, history of the United States, or I guess his history of the United States. And uh, it was enjoyable to do. It was something where I played Harry Truman, Harry S. Truman. 
And it wasn't anything that he fabricated. These were actual letters that Truman wrote, and I read them as Truman. And yet, Oliver Stone made a documentary aggrandizing Hugo Chavez, who, to my wife, is uh, El Diablo. I mean, yeah. he was the worst. And I said to her, I said, look, um, I'm going to go in and do this job with uh, Oliver Stone, but I know that he made this movie about Chavez. If you don't want me to work with him, I won't. And this is Oliver Stone. So I wasn't about to turn down a chance to do it, but I was going to, if, if my wife had a problem with it, I said, baby, I won't do it. I'm not going to make a lot of money off of it. I just want to work on the project and, and for whatever reason, be in the same room with them and take a little bit of direction. And she said, no, work. It's not, a, it's not that big of a deal to me. You know, I don't like them. I don't agree with them, but don't turn down work. So I went with her blessing. Mm -hmm. So there's a line for me where personally, I didn't agree with what he did, but and I was in a room with him briefly. He gave me a little bit of direction and that was it. I didn't see fit to bring it up because it's not my place. I was there to work a job, you know. The last thing he needs is, hey, I'm trying to make this. Now my one of my actors has an opinion about yeah. my work. So I thought, okay, this is a chance to decide what you're going, where's your limit? Where's your boundary? I thought for me, it's not going to bother me, but if it bothers my wife, I won't do it, you know? So yeah, there's a standard for me, but it's, it's a bit mercurial. It really is case by case. Yeah. I think that's true with me too. I mean, I, I, thankfully, <clears throat> okay. So I'm a huge Stevie wonder fan. Right. I don't, I don't know what it would take because it's like 50 out of my top 500, top 100 songs. It's pretty amazing. Stevie. I've seen him, you know, two dozen times in concert less. Like if we're talking about concert. maybe the second greatest musical artist of the 20th yeah. century, I got to say Stevie Wonder. Well, yeah, luckily. There's just no one musically that I identify with more than his music. And I just, it's, yeah. it's been my, it's been, it's so, I'm so close with it that I don't know yeah. what it would take at this yeah. point. And yeah. so I get that, you know? Yeah. I don't know what it would take either for me. Luckily, I don't think anything's ever going to come out about Stevie. I, I just don't think don't you would have so. heard it by now. Although the Cosby stuff pushed a lot of people. I mean, yeah. I grew up with Cosby. I always thought he was pretty funny. But I have to admit, um, it's not that I would refuse to watch it now. I would just watch it differently. I would sit sure. here and think, you know, these jokes don't mean the same thing. Because while you were making that joke, I know what else you were doing. Mm -hmm. So I, I don't think... I could enjoy his art. I could see that for its time, it was something different and um, and very well done, but I could not enjoy it. And that's the curse of knowing someone perhaps much better than you. they wanted you to know them. But yeah. hey, you know, if you're going to be an artist and put it out there, um, the audience gets to judge you on whatever merit they decide. So, yeah. I mean, and imagine like, you know, because it's a similar thing with me with Cosby where like I watched the show, sure, and I enjoyed the show. and But it was no, I didn't feel this sense of loss that was anything other than like an entertainment figure. Yeah. I can only imagine what it was like for people that like where he he sort of did things that other people had never done, especially <clears> that looked <throat> like him and like reached yeah. places that other people had never done. I mean, I'm sure that was a real betrayal and I'm sure that was extremely hard for some people. Yeah, uh, because uh, it's more than a hero. It's like <laughs> that was the biggest celebrity in TV. I mean, his movies 
didn't really land. I mean, not in the 80s. But if you if it was 1985 and you wanted a sponsor for your product, if you wanted an endorsement for your product, yeah. you wanted Bill Cosby. He was that safe, that big, and that universally accepted. So, yeah, if you were a person of color, particularly growing up and seeing that, right around the time Michael Jordan's coming up. So then yeah. that fall from grace, that's got to be pretty rough. And the thing about Michael Jordan is he's a guy who is one of the greatest athletes of all time. And then you find out later, he's kind of a dick. I mean, I haven't watched the show. Everybody's watched it. I don't oh, know I that, he's, he's great in that show. He's oh, great in I that show. Like I mean, the, the white tea guy. Yeah, he's he's being guy. himself. But you find out later from a lot of people that play with him. It's like the guy is way too competitive. He was just a lot of people. I mean, sports writers were writing about how this is not a nice guy. And when he's doing his Hall of Fame induction speech, they were saying this is not a nice guy. I mean, they're starting to take shots at him now because wow. maybe he doesn't have the same power he used to. And I thought, OK, maybe that's who he was. I can still admire what he did on the court, but I guess, yeah. you know, uh, I don't know if I'd put money in his pocket. But yeah. again, don't believe he committed any crimes. Just it's not a crime to be an asshole, you know? Mm -hmm. Well, there's there's societal crimes and then there's like lawful crimes, right? Like there's, yeah. there's, there's crimes of morality sometimes that are like- Yeah, unethical things. a crime, but like we can all agree here that this was not cool. Right, you know? yeah. Um, you know, you can get pretty close to-, to something that's a crime and even go further in a different direction and it'd be worse, you know? Right. Um, I mean, there's so much, there's, 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 there's a lot of stuff that people in power do that aren't technically crimes that um, actually affect more people than like stealing, <clears throat> uh, you know, a newspaper. <laughs> well, I, I think we've had about four years in a row of that. I mm -hmm. think we've had, I, my wife is beside herself every day. It seems to be a new, um, a new insult where she says, how can president Trump get away with this? And I said, well, he has executive privilege. What does that mean? It means that, well, he can do things that they at the time thought, well, no one's ever going to actually do this. So we don't need it's to make a step above white privilege. <laughs> it's, it is a certain amount of privilege that is almost unfathomable. But I keep telling her, I said, look, um, I do believe in justice. I do believe that things do eventually come around. Um, yeah, I just hope, I hope that, uh, I hope that some of these, uh, <laughs> these privileges that were taken are undone with equal privilege. I hope that this next administration doesn't necessarily think like, well, we can't do that just because he did it. And it's like, no, you can just undo it. Just undo that. And then you don't have to use it anymore. Now let's yeah. get rid of it. Yeah, I have a feeling that the next four years is going to be a lot of executive orders undoing the things Gosh, that were so. happening. Yeah, no. It, so. Yeah, and like everyone always, uh, everyone always talks about where it's like, okay, well, Obama did this. I'm like, yeah, that was shitty too. Yeah, <laughs> I know. What are you looking Come for? On. Yeah, what are you? Yeah, we can agree. Right. Oh, great. Then we agree. They're both. They both did shitty things. Yeah, because they were yeah. president. Yeah, I know. I, I get tired of that argument where it's they call it whataboutism. Well, so-and-so yeah. did this. Uh, you're yeah, correct. when they did that. <laughs> yeah, you're correct. Now, are you trying to tell me that they're exactly equal and now your guy gets to keep <laughs> doing what he's doing because everybody does it? Come on, man. Yeah, Trump put kids in cages. Well, Obama built the cages. Okay, well, there's still kids in cages right now. Yeah. Obama's not president anymore. 
And of course, if you want to parse that out, you can say, yes, he built some of the cages and those cages were used to detain people when they were separated until they can get them back together again. And then they were separated forever. Yes. Whereas, whereas your fella, um, had quite a specific use for them and it was not for what it was intended for. So yeah, the, 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 what about ism I'm hearing it's, um, it's a trick. It's kind of a trick and it's meant to excuse something so that they can just continue on their happy way, you know, um, yes, running roughshod over, you know, as you say, uh, societal mores and things like that. Yeah. yeah. Isn't it amazing how quickly we can just bounce around? That's what these chats are. Cam Bowen, I know you don't do a lot of social media, but where can people find you? Um, it's my name. So Cameron Bowen on Twitter, Instagram, uh and cameo and ah then, yeah um, you do the cameos what about tiktok you're on tiktok right yeah but i don't use it i okay. i i uh i'm really it's really just to use that duet feature and then put it on instagram if i want to okay but it's uh i think it's cam bowen tiktok or something all right i don't know got it it's brand new okay in the meantime i look forward to when this pandemic lifts and we can go back to having in-person conversations even if they're in passing yeah me too. It's always more fun that way. But until then, I hope you have a great holiday and you stay safe. Thank and you. we end up working on something soon. Heck yes. <laughs>